My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Exciting episode of Fan Holes Transformers Tuesdays, the Transformers show where we talk about Transformers all the time, every time. Hey, what's up? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm joined tonight by one of my regular Fan Hole Transformer Tuesdays compatriots. Give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Ah, Derek, how nice to see you again. <laughs> After awesome. I've shot you in the face. Yes, yes, of course, of course. I, I now know not only you are the leader, Michael, but also why. So yeah, yeah, so I'm here with Mike tonight, but we're not alone. We're joined by a very special guest tonight. We've, we've been trying to pull this off for a little while, and the day is finally here. We're, we're pleased to be joined tonight by Kyle Benning from King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, huge Transformers fan. We're, we're thrilled to finally be talking with him on the podcast. Hey, what's up, Kyle? How's it going? Must be the wind. Always. <laughs> there is no wind in space. Yeah, I used to do that in class all the time, Spanish class. My teacher was always confused. She'd always go check the windows. But that also might be the, the desolation of sound over at King Size Comics Giant Size One because I haven't put on an episode in like three years. <laughs> but, That's uh, fine. Yeah, so. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having hey. me. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, we, well, I think I think... I think we all have a, a passion and love that is unparalleled for what we're going to be talking about tonight. And just to let everybody in on what we are talking about, if you have no idea by those those vague and cryptic hints, we are going to be discussing the five-part extravaganza Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday episodes of Transformers, what kicked off Transformers Season 3, what is a de facto sequel to Transformers, the movie, we're going to be talking about Five Faces of Darkness, which aired from September 15th to the 19th in the year of our Lord, 1986. And it was written by Flint Dilly. And of course, to our chagrin, the animation studio behind the episodes was ACOM, everybody's favorite ACOM. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. I, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I kind of understand now, like, the, the passion I have for these episodes is what must be the passion you guys have for the, the Fox Kids X-Men, Mike, you know, like, because uh, by the time I was watching Fox Kids X-Men, I could, like, be super critical because I was, like, a teenager in high school, and I was like, look at all these animation eras. This is crap. This is crap. But, like, when I was, like, you know, I don't know, eight or nine when I was watching this, I, I, I wasn't as critical. So so I, I kind of, even though even though this is ridden with animation errors, I, I think I still have a, a joy and love for this, this series that, uh, again, is unparalleled. But I, I think we have a lot of episodes to talk about. And, uh, you know, we, we, we want to... 
hopefully get through it in a timely fashion. So I think what we're going to do is basically go through some of the synopses provided kindly by the TF Wiki. We're each going to take a few episodes and, and read the synopses. And then as we go, we're going to kind of discuss each part of the episode. So to kick it off, I'm going to start off with part one here of Five Faces of Darkness. Let's do it! Didn't you want to say something about concord and tranquility in the galaxy? Ah, uh, give me a break. Start the games! Closing scenes of Transformers the movie show us the destruction of Unicron and the Autobots escape, along with their victory celebration on Cybertron. It is the year 2005. Autobots have reclaimed Cybertron, while the Decepticons, now squabbling with each other for Energon, retreat to the planet Char. Astrotrain returns to the planet with a pitiful number of Energon cubes, resulting, I guess pitiful is like three, um, resulting in a tussle as the Decepticons fight for their share. Cyclonus realizes that to return the Decepticons to fighting form, they need drastic measures. Elsewhere, the first Galactic Olympics are being held. Blur is griping about being stuck on a mission with Wheelie when he wants to join the event. But Perceptor wants them to go to Autobot City on Earth to deliver the new transformation cog for Metroplex, as his old one was damaged during the battle before. Meanwhile, Galactic Olympics are being sabotaged. A Skuxoid detonates the Olympic flame, raining smoke down on the area and allowing a group of Sharkticons to land. The Autobots fight back, but in the confusion, Spike, Cup, and Ultra Magnus are kidnapped. Rodimus Prime immediately suspects the Decepticon shenanigans and orders the planet quarantine, but they are unable to prevent the Skuxoid's spaceship from taking off. RC and Springer set off to find a spacecraft of their own so they can pursue it. Cyclonus, Scourge, and the Sweeps sneak into Unicron's head, still orbiting Cybertron. They're able to access Unicron's memory banks and watch footage of Rodimus Prime's battle with Galvatron, culminating in the Decepticon leader being flung into space. Cyclonus then does some fast calculations and works out that Galvatron would eventually have reached the planet Troll. There, they see their leader soaking in the hot lava pools. On Earth, Blaster and Outback go to the Federated Republic of Carbomia to investigate EDC reports of Decepticons in that country. Despite the country's ruler, Abdul Fakadi, claiming that they would never harbor such criminals, the Autobots land. Outback, equipped with a Decepticon detector and an Australian accent, flushes out Dirge and Ramjet. The two Autobots get the coordinates of Char from them, which they report to Rodimus Prime, who wants to go there to investigate. RC and Springer, meanwhile, have pursued the Skuxoid to an asteroid, which he ducks behind. The Autobots follow, only for their ship to be seized by a huge claw. They evacuate the ship, only to find the asteroid is actually a disguised spacecraft. Springer hijacks it from the Skuxoid, who escapes in his smaller ship and then calls his benefactor to confirm that the Autobots indeed suspect the Decepticons to be behind the disruption. The tentacled, egg-shaped benefactor listens to the report and then tunes out as he sees their prisoners, Spike, Cup, and Ultra Magnus being led by a Sharkticon. Cyclonus, Scourge, and the Sweeps return to Char, where the rest of the Decepticons are convinced that the solution to their problems is to have a strong leader again. They cheer when they hear that Galvatron still lives, and are desperate enough that they give their remaining scraps of Energon to revive him. Rodimus Prime and Grimlock are spying nearby. Rodimus almost pities them, while Grimlock finds it funny. 
Rodimus realizes that the Decepticons are too down on their luck to be the ones responsible for the kidnappings. Their cover suddenly gets blown, and the Decepticons attack. To be continued! So yeah, there's, there's lots to unpack here, because it's the first of a five-part episode, and it also has to sort of fill you in if you have not seen the Transformers, the movie, you know, kind of explain to the kids what the hell is going on, right? So so there's a lot to sort of cover here, but I guess we should probably open it up with maybe just kind of when did you guys first encounter Five Faces of Darkness, right? Like when did you first see it, I suppose? Yeah, so the first time I would have saw it, I was probably three years old. Um, I had a bunch of Transformers episodes of combination of season one, season two, and season three all kind of blended on tapes that were taped off a of TV along with the FHE uh, releases. Most of those were season one ones that I had. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I first saw it when I was three and just the, the difference in intro and the you know year 2005, I was able to piece that together that, uh, you know, this was a, kind of a different set of Autobots, even though it didn't really mention what happened to, to Optimus Prime or anything. I, I could kind of pieced together that Rodimus was the new leader and everything seemed all right. So when I was three, that would have been about 1990. So that would have been around the first time I saw it. Yeah, I, I probably saw it around the same time because I, I first saw it as the FHE, like VHS release. And I, okay. I probably, I would have been like five or six around the time. And this was like, basically my local rental place had the movie um, more than meets the eye and this. So this was basically like a movie trilogy for me. Like you went from like more than meets the eye, which was like the first three episodes to the movie. And then the third movie was this five faces of darkness, basically. Mm. So, and it, it kind of works like, like as a trilogy. So like, yeah, I probably saw it like around the same time. And I definitely know I saw the FHE release. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, like, I I mean, I watched this on TV when it aired. I remember being, like, super excited to come home and watch it. And it was one of these things where they showed it, you know, during the weekdays. So you would come home after school and watch it at, like, I don't know, like, 4 or 4.30 or something like that. And, you know, you'd kind of, like, make you'd want to race home to make sure you saw stuff. Because I remember there'd be shows that came on at, like, I don't know, like, 2.30 or 3 or something. And there was no way you would get to see the beginning of it or whatever. But I think this aired like a little later. So it was on at like 4 or 4.30. So I de- it was like that and G.I. Joe kind of aired around the same time frame. And I think maybe if you if you wanted to watch GoBots or something, you like missed like the first 10 minutes of it or something like that. Because that was at like 3 or 3.30 or something like that. But Did anybody pre- really want to watch GoBots? Hey now, hey now. I totally, <laughs> I totally did. I, I did want to watch GoBots. Um, but, um, the, um, the, the, the movie era, like Transformers, I guess, like, I, I don't know, for me, it was kind of weird. Cause it's like, I knew what was going on cause I read the Marvel comics movie adaptation. So like, I kind of had a vague idea of what had happened and who all the players were, but this was kind of the first time I'd ever seen those characters animated, you know, like, and, and so I, I I was trying to do some research and figure out like how this would have gone down. But, you know, since this was premiering in a regular standard kind of TV release, right. It it was, it was September when this aired in 1986. And when I looked it up, they didn't have a specific month or anything, but the, the VHS copy of Transformers, the movie 
I mean, it's not like it is now where like the movie airs and then like, you know, or, or goes to the theater and like three months later it's out on like Blu-ray or digital or however it's released. It's like it took like a long, long time for stuff to actually get released on home video. So like even though the movie like Transformers, the movie was released, it, it took like, I don't know, like a year or two because the VHS tape from Family Home Entertainment didn't actually come out until 1987. So I know for sure I saw Five Faces of Darkness before I ever really saw Transformers the movie because I had to rent that because I, you know, I just wasn't able to see it in the theaters and stuff. So that that was, you know, I guess for me, like the first time I ever saw those that that this era of Transformers, you know, you know, Hot Rod, Ultra Magnus, Cup, Springer, RC, Blur, Wheelie, all those guys, Galvatron animated and everything like that. So I and, and I guess because of that, like just on that alone, I think that kind of defined like some of my enjoyment of this, you know, despite, you know, obviously, yeah, it has some shortcomings, you know, critically, but I mean, this, this kind of helped me, you know, I guess, I mean, it's that sense of like, these were these, you know, 22 minute commercials, right? Like, like it, it came out in September of 1986. Well, by Christmas of 1986, like little Derek had the, you know, Rodimus Prime, Hot Rod, uh, Cyclonus, like all these guys for Christmas. And it, my birthday was in October. So by then I had like Galvatron and Ultra Magnus. So yeah, I mean, this is, whoa, this whoa, was a wait, total... wait, don't you, don't you mean Rodimus Prime? Rodimus Prime. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So with that uh, release date of the movie out on like home video, I'm thinking, Dark Awakening definitely would have happened. So kids that might not have known really that Optimus died would have been traumatized by his zombie corpse. Right. And then re Return of uh, Optimus Prime might have already aired before the movie came out too. Hmm. That that was like, and that was like the fourth movie in my like yeah. like rental uh, uh, like uh, history basically where. You know, I I had to piece together what they had. So like in Return of Optimus Prime also got a like uh, video release. So then, yeah, uh, yeah, that was like the the fourth movie. So like I had a, a I sort of like and and all the other like season one episodes were only like one episode of a tape. So yeah, it's like when the you, uh, Ultimate Doom, I think. Uh, yeah, the Ultimate that actually Doom came and, in like a clamshell that had yeah, uh, and more than meets the eye. So it's like I'd always rent these because there was like multiple episodes on each one, so it would like you know last me yeah. the weekend like a lot longer, basically. Yeah, for the FHE, I had uh, uh, Transport to Oblivion, Roll for It, SOS Dinobots, Fire in the Sky. Uh, the ultimate doom, uh, but that crapped out halfway through it, so I never knew how, how that ended. Uh, I, used, I used to love those little comic strips on, yeah, the, yeah, on the back. Yep. Yeah, I love those. Yep. And then uh, taped off of TV, my uncle had had, uh, I think it was three six-hour tapes, so 12 episodes each. So there was an R36 episodes on there. Um, so what got to see about half of the the G1 episodes growing up just over and over and over again just just watch those things uh, to death so i was probably 8 or so before i saw the movie uh, but our our local video rental place had uh um the the return of optimus prime and then they also had the uh uh the first season episode where uh optimus prime's chest gets blown up by laserbeak oh yeah i yeah. can't think of the name of that episode uh, divide but, uh, and conquer 
but uh, the the cover for the rental, right? There's like a little sleeve that hangs on the wall, right? That you, you take up to the video video rental thing, and then the the tape is behind the counter. That's how it was at, at ours. Um, my mom would never let me rent that one because she thought it looked too graphic or that it freaked me out. Or so I had just played it up in my head that that must be where Optimus Prime dies. Mm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, mean, I, I he, didn't he didn't get the chance to actually see uh, more than meets the eye until the show came out on DVD <laughs> in the early two thousands. Slain, slain by his greatest foe, laser beak. <laughs> laser beak, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, like those those uh, VHS tapes that that your uncle made for you, like were those like because sometimes I, I I just get fascinated by like because I I had like my own private stash of tapes of things that I recorded off of like local channels, but then the other way I ended up getting the rest of my Transformers episodes when they were all like on you know vhs tapes that were sort of passed around like i i remember like when i was in my early 20s i got a double decker you know v vhs recorder right and so i borrowed my buddy's older brother's collection of tapes so like they were on like i think it was like various sources of stuff like it was like some stuff got taped off of like WGN, some stuff got yeah. These were all taped off of WGN. Okay, okay, and like some some stuff got taped off of like uh, you know our local channels like KTVU or whatever. But then I remember like I think the way Mike's watched a lot of these, I think he'll back me up. Is like some of the VHS tapes I had when I duped them from the brother was um they were all like sci-fi airings like early in the morning. Yeah, and stuff like that's that. where wow. I saw most of the series. Okay. Yeah, on sci-fi. Yeah. So just would curious. that have been like technically the the season five airings then? Uh, no, they, have they like were just, a different intro or was they the, were like Optimus they were just, Prime talking to the kid or anything. Yeah, no, they were just hacked up versions of like the original broadcast. Like I think they caught like maybe two minutes out of every single episode, but yeah, it was like it was like because they wanted to have more commercial time. Yeah, or basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of the uh, weirdest pairings. So I mean, for uh, a lot of the tapes, there's you know a string of you know, a couple episodes that actually aired, you know, together. So you could be in season two for a while and then mean season three. Obviously the, the five faces of darkness, five parter was all in a row on the tape. But one of the oddest oddest jumps was uh it went from Starscream's Brigade, uh, you know, where the episode ends with them floating on like the green asteroid. And the next episode on the tape after that was Starscream's Ghost, season three. Mm. So again, not seeing the movie, I'm like, oh, Starscream must have died on that asteroid and then came back. <laughs> he just died on the asteroid. And, uh, you know, and then Five Faces of Darkness, part one right away. It's like, oh, well, the Combaticons must have got off. <laughs> but, uh, and they're still around, but uh, I wonder what happened to Starscream. And then, they cannibalized Starscream. They ate him. Yep. Well, let me yep. let me just say that this episode in particular, like just let alone the whole five parts, but this part one, like I wrote my uh, list of like my top 10 favorite G1 episodes, like maybe like 10 years ago, probably. And this episode made it on there just cut like just part one. And not not to say I don't like the other parts, but this episode is like aside from the shitty like Acom animation, this episode is like perfect for me. Like it's like perfectly paced. Every scene is important. There's great dialogue. Like there's memorable scenes. Like like I love this episode. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Actually, the I was thinking about that. Uh, I rewatched them all uh, over the last week, late at night, in bed while my wife's asleep. So I just have them on mute. And I have all the dialogue memorized. So you know, I just play it in my head. Yeah, it, <laughs> but it's kind, uh, like, I, 
it, it's it's like a great like season premiere basically yeah. like it, it it sets you up for the rest of the season it introduces a bunch of new elements it like you know it reaffirms the the cast like for if you had seen the movie like it's just great yep and then I, I rewatched them all today and I was just thinking about oh man the dialogue's written here really great so a lot of times I try to string together in my head you know how much Rob Kelly hates Transformers right and I think like God, if I could like robot chicken, him, robot chicken him, sit him down and strap him to a chair and force him to watch like ten hours of uh, Transformers, and I think what what would I try to do to get him from more than meets the eye to the end? What what episodes would I pick? And Five Hits of Darkness, I think, are an essential part of that. And it's kind of like what you touched on, Mike, of uh, trying to get Transformers kind of broken down into four movies. This would be the kind of the third part there. It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I, I probably had more of a uh, point advantage than, than you would trying to uh, have Rob Kelly watch it from scratch. But uh, a buddy of mine that I went to college with, he he remembered and grew up watching, you know, like the first two seasons of Transformers. But he sort of he sort of tuned out when it after the movie, basically, like once it got to season three, because it was that that kind of era. Like, I mean, I, I feel like I've dealt with this my entire life, but these people that, you know, don't like Rodimus, they don't like season three, they they just like Megatron and they don't like Galvatron, like all that kind of stuff. And instead of it being like, you know, chasing Amy where, you know, he's like, I'm going to sit you down and we're going to read some Archie books and I'm going to show you, you know, that Archie's a man, you know, and all this other <laughs> stuff, you know, like, and, 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 and so for me, it was like one of these things where I was like pulling that same thing, but instead I was like, okay, this is bullshit. I'm going to sit you down. We're going to watch my shitty VHS tapes of season three. I'm going to show you why Galvatron is freaking cool, you know? And, and, and that's basically like all, all these episodes, you know, are, are a, a huge part of that, you know, like, like, like kind even, of... even Rodimus, like, how could you not watch this episode and not think Rodimus was like awesome? Like, well, you know, yeah, like, I mean, he, cra- yeah. he cracks me up in this episode. Like when he starts like the Olympic games and, you know, Ultra Magnus is like, you know, didn't you want to say some like stirring words about like about, tranquility like, peace and, and tranquility? Yeah. In the oh, give me a break. Start the game. <laughs> Let's get it on. Do we, do we, do we have an in-depth conversation about good old Monka? Yeah, okay. So, uh, I, this one perplexed me for ages. I, I loved Jazz. He and uh, Wheeljack were probably my two favorite of the Autobot cars. I had uh, Wheeljack as a kid, and I had the G2 Jazz. And so, you know, I was super happy then when I finally did get to see the movie that, you know, Jazz is one of the people that lives or walks away through that from that. And then there he is, opening his season three. Monkus Vanka from the Argonon Cluster? What the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess the reason is uh, Scatman Crothers died, right, in between yeah. uh, season two and season three, but it's like, yeah. well, he wasn't going to talk anyway, so just call him the right name. Say yeah. Jazz from Icon yeah. and send him out that way. So Scatman yeah. died, and then the, the other one, you know, that they made a big deal surviving, Cliff Jumper, Casey Kasem. Um, obviously not a real big fan of uh, Carbabia. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, you know, typically when you see that discussed, they always mention the, the Thief in the Night episode, those laser, later uh, season three episodes there um, as being the issue. And it's like, dude, Carbabia gets mentioned in the first episode of the season. I'm pretty yeah, sure that's yeah, why he walked yeah. away. And I kind of wonder how fluid the script was, too, because I, I kind of assume that's why uh, they have Trypticon then destroy Teletran 1. Yeah, it uh, seems like that wasn't necessarily that, planned, but that, that it just 
worked out by happenstance or something where they're like, okay, that's a good enough excuse like to make Teletran 2. Yeah. yeah. There's so much like continuity in this season, basically, and it all like starts here. Like you said, like, you know, Carbamia is set up because it's going to be used in the like later episode, basically. Yeah, I really kind of wonder uh, how far they were playing ahead. If they kind of had a whole skeleton for the season, which would be quite the change. I mean, Flint Dilly came on board right with the movie, and then he kind of ran the show. Then season three, um, which would be quite the departure from season two. You know, I don't think there was a whole lot of foresight and planning going into you know some of the masterpieces of like Hoist Goes Hollywood and stuff like right, that. Right. <laughs> which I actually really like uh, Hoist Goes Hollywood because it has the same uh, director as the uh, guy that's the cold slither director. Season two seemed more like, you know, sell the toys, sell yeah. the toys. It doesn't matter what these stories are. Sell the toys. Yeah, there were some gems in there. Like uh, I really like cosmic rust. Um, Masquerade, I guess is kind of a stupid idea, but I, I loved it as a kid that the Autobots used hologram projectors to become their own stunt uh, minosaur and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, then you get some of those other ones like, yikes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I wonder how far they were planning ahead because you kind of, uh, it's more uh, episode two here, but they kind of plant the whole uh, Scourge like loyalty arc. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of see him realize Galvatron's crazy and start to distance, I know, know distance what I, himself. Like... And then even, you know, try to take over uh, with Burden Hardest to Bear. And then obviously aids Starscream and Starscream's Ghost. Um, I, know, you know, like, I know, I know Scourge is like the tracker and stuff, but like, I was kind of like, I always saw this episode and I, you know, when he like kind of zooms in and sees Galvatron, like in the lava pit on Thrall, I'm kind of like, what does he have? Like Superman vision? Yes. Or something? yes. Like, that was something that took me forever to pick up. I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12. when I really started to think about that. Cause at first it was, you know, Scourge spy the planet and Galvatron lives. And it's like, Hey, did he just fly there? Why didn't he just fucking pull him out there? <laughs> and then it's like, a, oh, no, he used supervision to look across the galaxy and see this shit. I don't. I mean, I wonder how far away that is. They'll go back to Char to get more energy on before heading there. So it must be quite the journey. It's, that's something that's I didn't know if that I didn't have him as a kid. So I didn't know if that was something on his text back or what. You never really see it referenced again that I can recall. How would you feel to be Scourge and have that Superman vision? You're the tracker, and then your huntsmen are the fucking cannon fodder shitty sweeps. <laughs> well, it's like it, it seems like a super useful like uh, ability, but I don't think he ever uses it again. Like, yeah. yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those things where the the guy has uh, you know super detective skills or an eidetic memory or whatever in the pilot, but then they never use that in like the rest of the season or whatever, you know. Speaking of Energon, I, I feel bad for Astrotrain because, like, yeah, I was just I was... about to say, let's talk about like that opening scene because, like, yeah, that's a uh, like, I, I think that was like the opening scene the first time I saw it was kind of a shock to me because I was like, like, I like didn't how? think the Decepticons got that like badly beaten, like, you know, like in the movie or whatever. Like, I guess they got thrown off Cybertron, but it didn't seem like it, they did a good job of showing how, how like, like desperate they were. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, it was they... quite the, uh, the departure, I mean, the movie opens, you know, they're like the most badass, powerful, super energized up things we've ever seen before. And then they go from that to the lowest point we've ever seen them before. And what is it? I guess we're supposed to just assume that because they happen to be the unlucky bastards uh, on Cybertron when Unicron attacked, that, that just decimated them. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I mean, that, that that's 
and, and that it was easier for the Autobots to drive them off once they were all deployed to go fight Unicron. Once the Decepticons nearly held the Quadrant in terror, now we scrap like slargs over a few Energon cubes. I would have slurped some of that Energon before I came back. Like, like, what is Astrodrome thinking? <laughs> yeah, what is like, he all of a sudden the, the nicest auto or nicest uh, Decepticon, Decepticon ever? Like, dude, you got all that energon, just keep that shit for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, maybe, I'm kind maybe. of impressed that he didn't like just wolf it all down when he found it. You know, like if they're that desperate. <laughs> Maybe he I mean, was he was trying to be a dick and he was going to be like, oh man, I'm going to take this Energon to Char and then I'm going to eat it right in front of it. <laughs> like, oh shit, I don't have enough energy to land. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, I don't know, That's the both triple changers uh, really kind of got uh, yeah. weird uh, makeovers in this in this uh, series of episodes, I guess, with their personalities. But uh, between him and Blitzwing, both definitely didn't seem that noble. <laughs> In season two, I, I like that though, Mike. That's a good continuity patch. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in my headcanon from now on. That Astro Chain was totally <laughs> flying back to Char with the intention of like eating it in front of everybody, but he just fucked up and crashed instead. So. <laughs> you know, you know what's odd? The very first time I watched this, I don't think I knew who Menasaur was. So like when he showed up, I was like, who the hell is that? Like. Because I, I missed that comic. Like, uh, like I had most of the comics, I think, at that point. But I didn't have that uh, the issue where they introduced Menasaur. And I hadn't seen any of season two. And obviously, Menasaur wasn't in the movie. So yeah. I was kind of like, who the hell is that guy with, like, a race car on his arm and a giant sword? And why is he beating up Devastator? Like, so I think that was, a, like, who is this new guy? Like, what the hell? Like, I mean, like, your, your instinct is like a... a you know, uber Transformers nerd to be like, you know, come on, dude. Like, why don't you know who that is, dude? But like with all the, the animatic ACOM shenanigans, like I, I feel like you're good. Cause like there, there, there's plenty of miscolored characters and plenty of like random ass designs of people who were just not real people. So for all you knew, it was like another one of those, you know, ACOM sort of fuck ups or whatever, like, that was there for no good reason. Oh, there were so many awesome ones, though. So it's I used my... to just sit there and pause the TV. My favorite one is my avatar tonight, which is <laughs> when when it's Cyclonus so like tells yeah Cyclonus tells the Decepticons they're going to go rescue Galvatron. There's a and group he's in the shot, crowd waving. And Galvatron's in the crowd going, <laughs> "Yes, they're going to rescue me." <laughs> like, we will save Galvatron, and he's right over there, cheering with the rest of you. It's like, yeah. what the fuck? No, that, that was Galvatron two. He came from the future to like check things out. Like he was like, just checking in. Like you're going to go save me now, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was like that was like Balvi, his uh, his brother. Oh, he looks pretty Galvatron. happy. That's uh, Galvatron post lobotomy there yeah. in the future. <laughs> No, I used to just pause uh, the TV and sit there and, you know, sketch out all these unique color combos and, and paint them and stuff. And when the they started making those little PVCs in the early 2000s, they had the Heroes of Cybertron release in the U.S. I was like, oh, I'm going to buy all these. I'm going to paint them in these cu custom color scenes. And they were like, you know, like Meyer, which is not a chain around here, and Walgreens exclusives. And we had like one Walgreens 50 miles away from my house at the at the, that time. It was like the only walgreens in iowa so never ended up finding any of them but now of course there's walgreens everywhere so uh, but yeah with the the acom things too I, I wonder how many uh 
kids that might have thrown off. Uh, it's later in the series, but we kind of get the the new band of uh, mini bots. I think it's in part three or part four. You know, some of those are just straight repaints that, as a kid, you wonder, are those really ca- real new characters, or do they just miscolor gears and tailgate? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I always did appreciate our wind like, charger. Yeah, it like is I, the repaint, but yeah, I, I always did appreciate that brief scene where Rodimus is giving the speech, and it cuts to like Autobot City on Earth and Bumblebee's there, like with mm-hmm. Warpath, and I'm kind of like, oh, like they didn't like forget about them, like you yeah, know, they're yeah. still around, like. Yeah, that's from the Autobots, the the mini uh, mini bots were really kind of the only. There was Perceptor, the aerial bots, and then like Bumblebee, Power Glide, and Warpath are really the only holdovers from season one and season two. Yeah, I like I like that moment with with Dan Gilvezan where he's like, "Go, Rodimus!" Like everybody's <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's your if if Bumblebee was your your every man that or the the intent was for him to be the every man that kids looked up to because he was like spike's buddy it's like it's almost like bumblebee's giving him the seal of approval when he's just like all right start the games go for it and then he you know clearly he's he's sort of passed the torch or been like dude like you know go with this guy like he he knows what he's doing you know type thing and you feel like oh okay cool he's you know and and it's not done in a a ham-fisted way it's not like you know Captain Kirk's on a jungle gym saying it's fun to Picard or whatever. It's like, it's, it's like genuine or whatever. Like you just feel like, Oh, it's just a natural moment that just happens. And it's not like he's trying to brown nose him or anything. Cause he's like way the fuck away on another planet, but he's still kind of like, he's supporting, you know, his boy or his leader or whatever. Like, so I, I did like that sequence. Yeah. And Bumblebee was always kind of Optimus's buddy. So it is kind of a nice passing the torch endorsement there. And then even Warpath's dialogue there is kind of a questioning Rodimus, and you know that's kind of the the long running arc, I guess, for right, Rodimus. Right, the season right. three is the he's doesn't fit the normal leadership mold, and I mean even Rodimus within his five parters says, you know, why did I have to be the chosen one? So they're yeah, kind yeah. of pointing that that he doesn't necessarily like this uh, mantle of leadership, and so it's, it's just interesting to see the the season themes planted so early. Well, it, and then, then I think it's what I always was wrestling with when I would I would fight the people that said you know they didn't like season three or or they preferred Optimus Prime to Rodimus and I was always kind of of the opinion you know as much as I enjoy Transformers in general I would just point out that season three like you're saying I mean it's got a almost novella through line for all the different things that are going on throughout it and Rodimus himself has like dimensionality and a character arc you know like there he's 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 kind of trying to fight through stuff like you would in i don't know i've always compared him to like a character like wally west who got a bunch of shit for not being Barry, you know like and and it yep. was like you know the, the, here you've got somebody taking over the the leader leadership mantle you know from optimus prime and a bunch of people are like well you're no optimus you know but at the same time he, he it's like he's trying to live up to this this perfect image or this idealized image of, of the person he's he's filling the shoes of but at the same time like he he has to do things his own way and and he, he's kind of sardonic and funny about the whole thing but then you also realize there's that layer to him where even though he pretends with ultra magnus not to understand the gravity of oh we're dealing with you know don't you want to talk about the tranquility of the universe like you know in that private moment where he says man, why'd I have to be the chosen one? You know he understands the gravity of it all, even though he's not going to let on to any other person that that he's 
he's troubled. And that's usually the sign of a good leader. Do you know what I mean? That that they, he doesn't let other people see him sweat. And like, you know, like on, on a personal level, too, it's like Springer's like going off with RC, like on an adventure. And, you know, he's kind of like, oh, man, like I used to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be able to hang with RC and like go on adventures. And now I can't. So he's got to be he's got to be Picard and, and, and Springer gets off goes off to be you know number one on the away team and and he's like damn it i used to be able to go away on the away team another another rodimus and uh, moment that made me chuckle in this episode is when uh you know he when the quintessons attack and he jumps off the podium and yells like munch protons and cup is like uh i was the same way until i got blown apart a couple times <laughs> <laughs> like i love that yeah, yeah. That's some good stuff. I, I think the only other note I have on this episode is just when, when we see the shadowy image of the, the Quintessons, like the first voice I, I heard, I was like, man, that if that doesn't sound an awful lot like uh, Pinhead from Hellraiser, because like that's that's kind of what the voice reminded me of. And it's like they don't it's funny because they don't it, it, they have these weird like one off voices or like even how they like recast um, Dick Gaudier as Rodimus like in in this series of episodes it's like there's still those couple beats where it reverts back to old voices or you know there's like accidents where like you know people are you know obviously the acom animation and weird dialogue mishmashes with with words coming out of people's mouths that it shouldn't be and so like like that might be a case of that but it is kind of like this weird one-off instance when you're first being introduced to the I guess the TV quintessons, I guess, and then you know, as opposed to the ones in the the movie. But it it I just remember listening to it and kind of thinking, damn, if that doesn't sound like you know, I think what is it like the what is it Doug Bradley or whatever who does Pinhead? So like, I, it sounded just like him. Another uh, one last thing about this episode. Uh, this is the start of, I guess, the Dinobots or Grimlock in particular becoming sort of a comic relief, like mm. in this season. But he's still like, like I, I still think I like it's still kind of callous of him. But I really like, you know, the fact where you know when Rodimus is like, you know, man, I feel sorry for these guys, and Grimlock's like, you know, me not feel sorry, me Grimlock laugh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, fuck those guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I would say. Uh... Season three, I think, overall would be my favorite if they didn't uh, treat the Dinobots like such morons, which is, you know, what they did uh, in the movie as well. And I think my my favorite uh, single episode as a kid was definitely SOS Dinobots. You go from them just being these badass killing machines to the dumb comedy relief. Uh, that always bugged me a little bit in season three. If we could have got the, them just being weapons uh kick assery in season three i think it would have been a, a near perfect uh, season minus the acom errors of course yes but i, I kind of wonder if this one was a little rushed because the there seemed to be more sound errors uh in this five-parter as well yeah you know there's some parts where like wheelie's voice effect drops off and mm-hmm. um you know it's later when they're uh on that Jupiter moon and there's like that storm cloud and stuff. <laughs> the the noise is clearly someone just going, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Cupped into their hands and stuff. It's like, Oh, yeah, it's come like, on Wally Burr. What are you doing? <laughs> sometimes they like drop the distortion like entirely. And then sometimes the distortion is so like overpowering. You can't tell what the dialogue is. So do we want to go on to part two? 
Sure. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Like I said, I love this episode, and you know, it it's it's still like like I said, the the rest of the episodes aren't too shabby either. Five Faces of Darkness, Part Two. On Char, the Decepticons have discovered the snooping Rodimus Prime and Grimlock. Rodimus However, Prime. The, Rodim, Rodimus Prime. However, the Decepticons cannot muster enough energy to power their weapons, so they opt to beat the two Autobots to death. They overwhelm Rodimus and Grimlock, but scatter at the sight of a meteor, which turns out to be the scuzzoid ship commanded, commandeered by Springer and Arcee. They grab Rodimus and Grimlock, but Rodimus is non-responsive. Cyclonus allows them to leave as he has more pressing matters, such as finding Galvatron. On Quintessa, the, the Quintessons are interrogating Cup, who is Cybertron's chief of security. They seem to know the true answers to their questions, even though he lies. They learn that Cybertron is militarily secure, but that Cup is worried about Earth's security. Ultramagnus and Spike are surprised that the Quintessons seem to know so much, but the Quintessons end their discussion by trying their hand at interrogating Spike. Elsewhere, Springer sets the Scuzzoid ship down. A badly injured Rodimus is mumbling Springer's name and that of the Matrix, and Arcee believes that Rodimus is naming Springer as the new Autobot leader. Suddenly, Rodimus's life force disappears. Arcee assumes the worst, but Grimlock points out that the Matrix didn't appear, so he is still alive. As for Rodimus Prime's life force, it's going on a very trippy journey through the Matrix, seeing Optimus Prime, a skull-like thing, a few robots, and the Quintessons. Coming back online, Rodimus realizes that it was the Quintessons who kidnapped the others, not the Decepticons. On Quintessa, Spike, Magnus, and Cup overpower their guards, taking a Quintesson judge named Deliberata hostage. When they confront the court, however, the Quintessons merely sentence him to die in the Sharktacon tanks as well. The pit opens, plunging Spike and the Autobots into the pit along with Deliberata. The side of the pit opens, allowing the other Quintessons to watch. They like to watch. Heading to Thrall, Cyclonus sends Scourge to pull Galvatron from the plasma pool. Cyclonus and the Sweeps greet their leader, only to discover that he has been driven insane by the plasma bats. Galvatron immediately proceeds to lay the smackdown on his would-be rescuers, but Scourge, who speaks crazy, manages to talk him down. Galvatron declares that they have an empire to regain, and they depart, but not before Galvatron destroys Thrall. On Quintessa, as the Sharktacons begin to swarm in, Spike asks why they're being executed, and the Quintessons say that Spike is guilty of associating with the Autobots, who are guilty of theft. Magnus assumes they are talking about the Decepticons, but the Quintessons point out that the Autobots inhabit Cybertron. Above, the Scuzzoid ship flies through the sky only to be destroyed by the Quintessons' defense systems. However, the Autobots were not on board instead arriving in Springer's copter mode. The Quintesson Tribunal flees Grimlock's would-be assault while Springer pulls the others out of the Sharktacon tank. The aerial bots arrive with their escape ship. However, the Quintessons, obsessed with destroying the Matrix, detonate a core bomb on Quintessa. Safely in the distance, they watch their homeworld explode. To be continued. Da-da-da. So even though I never had seen Transformers the movie when I first saw this, I think just based on reading the movie adaptation and stuff, I think I already knew like that that wasn't what Prime said right before he died. Like in my 
I, I know that 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 always stood out to me where I was like, wait a minute, Brad didn't say that. And then, you know, even and once you've seen the movie, you're like, wait a minute, he didn't say that. And I think the TF Wiki says some nonsense about, you know, there was something similar to that was said in the uh, 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 first draft of the film or something like that. Have you ever uh, seen or uh, read any of that first draft of the film by uh, Ron Friedman? I don't think so. No. Yeah, it's, with the it's out it's, there. Man. <laughs> yeah, with the light a, sparks and the urns containing spirits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah essentially, where uh, uh, Megatron dies is uh, instead of being you know ditched out on the planet, it's the whole like hall there where they get have Starscream's crown coronation ceremony with all those statues and shit. That's where like uh, Megatron's like essence just floats away and stuff. Um, but there's a lot of weird weird shit in that. Uh, Flint Dilly really. The, the final product there is, I think, a lot more of his mind than went into Ron, Ron uh, Friedman's or original concept there. But, yeah, no, even watching that tonight when uh, R.C. said that, I just, you lying bitch, that's not what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, uh, what is R.C.'s deal there because then, uh, you know, oh, me, Grimlock, rescue you. You must be kidding. <laughs> like, dude, fuck you, he's a T-Rex, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? You've been on the scene for five minutes, and you're yeah, back I know, every right? kid's favorite character. In fact, J- Grimlock made a joke back in season two about how often he had to rescue like Prime, like yeah, like what did he say? It was like here we here we are again to pull your diodes out of laser <laughs> fire. Like, I mean, the plot thickens. Like, this is another like good episode. Like. I think it, I always thought it was funny that like uh, the Decepticons just march straight through Rodimus and Grimlock's fire, and Rodimus is yelling "cowards!" Like, and they, <laughs> like they, you know, they they rifle butt him to like the, the near death, basically into a matrix coma. Yet, what I don't get with them being so depleted and low on energy. I mean, a little bit later, you know, uh, who is it, uh, Motormaster? Give some of his, here's my contribution, and then he face plants when he pulls a little <laughs> yeah. energon out. And it's like, dude, if they were that low, went to like the the slightest uh, shot from Rodimus and Grimlock, who should be fairly energoned up, you know, after being on Cybertron and all good after the war. I mean, shouldn't they just be mowing through the Decepticons there? Why all of a sudden are they like the most resilient ever we've seen out of them when they have no energon? Because it's a cartoon, Kyle. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they, they need that. They need that dramatic uh, Doctor Who cliffhanger or whatever. That's that's pretty much the answer. I love uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Roger C. Carmel. Like he yeah. does, he does both Cyclonus and Motormaster, and yeah. I think he makes them sound pretty distinct. So I, I think with me, like I just I, I fall into like I want to write notes on the the episodes themselves, but I end up just falling into like singling out like my my favorite quotes or whatever you know like i love when spike grabs the the deliberata and he's like release us or i turn your buddy here into bluey juice i was just like that's <laughs> fucking awesome and i don't like, know what bluey juice is but it sounds delicious <laughs> it, it like, sounds badass i was like the only thing is i'm, I'm sure like I, I know there's like so many animation problems and snafus like in this entire five episodes but of course the the one thing i'm gonna single out that that weirded me out even when I was a kid was like, wait, shouldn't the Quinnison Bayless gun be like a lot larger than like to fit into Spike's palm like when it goes flying around? But yet it it's like the the what, what is it? The temporal uh space pocket or whatever hooks Spike up so it like fits like snugly in his hand like once it spins around after Cup like belts the guy. 
I like that uh, we just get a little more, more uh, character building of just painting uh, Ultra Magnus as just the ultimate, like, <laughs> boring square at <laughs> the Autobots here. The, you know, Spike's trying to give him a hint, like, hey, we're going to break out of this shit, right? And uh, no, I haven't seen that. And then Cuff's like, well, I, okay, I get what to say. He got to rest him and pray! It's like even after Cup and Spike are like beating up the guards, Magnus is like, "What's happening? Like, what what are we doing?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I like I like the I, I'm like even though even though I think me and the the TF Wiki don't always see eye to eye all the time, I do like the one bit he mentions where he's like, "Okay, so they're locked up, but they didn't take away Ultra Magnus's side rockets, so shouldn't he like you know use those side rockets to bust out of jail?" Like, and I'm like, "Okay." Okay, Tia, you have a point there. You have, you got me there. Well, we saw in the movie, right? The didn't uh, Rodimus try to grab the bars and it like shocked him? There must yep. be some nullified yep. yeah. field there in the yeah, maybe in maybe the prison it, cage. It, yeah, disables the rockets detonator or something before it hits the bars or something like that. Yeah, you could you could definitely rationalize it and everything. You know, you know what I forgot to mention is the, the we were talking about like the the scuzzoid like ship and the scuzzoid itself. Like I I, I know there were like sort of some minor follow-ups and maybe like i don't know if it was like manga or whatever but like i i feel like i'm kind of surprised that they don't i mean i don't know if there's like a legal thing about it or what but sometimes i'm always surprised like you'd think with all the nostalgia for this property and the era and stuff like you know i mean you see like these third-party crimzeeks and things like that like i'm kind of surprised like nobody ever really did very much with the Scuzzoids outside of season three. Yeah, that's like, kind of surprising. I mean, we do see him show up again. He's in the the Chaos episode. He's the mm-hmm, one that has the mm-hmm. uh, Death Crystal Canyon that the is it uh, Runamuck and uh, Runabout. Well, it's it's just one of them. The white one has it. And he's yeah, riding a blast off from yeah. the Combaticons. Uh, isn't is isn't he also in Starscream's ghost? Like, was that was it, am I thinking of someone else, or was he the one who was kept trying to assassinate Octane? Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. He, but it was. I I think he was involved in one of those. I, so you know, there was like the kind of the where Octane uh, gets on the outs, but then when Starscream comes back, that's kind of a two parter. There's right Ghost of the Machine and Starscream's well, it, Ghost back to back. On the it, DVD, they're out of order. Isn't it him and then the, the schizoid and then doesn't he like have a sidekick that's like the dumber like green lizard or something? Yeah, with an eye patch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's maybe I'm confusing the two, or maybe they were both in the same scene together, but yeah, I kinda remember that. Yeah, yeah I'm just surprised either, like... they're out of order too, because the, the Thief of the Night is kinda involved in that then too, and they they definitely play those out of order on the D V D and then those episodes, it's like they cut 10 minutes out in different little chunks, too, that it just doesn't flow together real well. I yeah. wish someone would, like, do a comic book adaption of the whole series, cut out some of the stupid shit, and then fix some of the clunkier mm. points, and then just have a new yeah. ongoing comic that kind of is set in that continuity. Or at least, like, release a DVD set where it's, like, done in proper, like, production order instead of, I think, like, uh, what do they usually do, like, air dates or... Yeah, like, I, I don't even so. know. Yeah, but like, yeah, like on the Shout Factory season three DVD, the episode where like Octane gets kicked out of the Decepticons comes before 
like the, yeah, so. the couple episodes where he really gets in trouble that's leading up to that. So it's, yeah. it's clunky to watch. It's funny. I never, I mean, maybe I should, but I never upgraded to the, the, uh, what the shout Sony, whatever DVDs. Like I, I still have my, my kid Rhinos. rhino. Yeah. I still have my kid rhino. Oh, DVDs. where they used like the shitty like transfers and like yeah, the unfinished yeah. animation in yeah, some yeah, episodes. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. 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 money bags. Those were like, 40 to 50 bucks when those came out in the early 2000s, I remember. I was just in yeah. high school. I couldn't afford that. Oh, I was, uh, I, I'm like, see, the, the, here here we date me. I was like, I, I was working, had jobs and things. And... <laughs> Speaking of old men, um... <laughs> <laughs> Joey, nope. you ever seen an old man naked? Good, good. Like, I couldn't resist <laughs> the transition, but like, uh, I, another... A uh, hilarious love cup line, and you know you are the chief of security for Cybertron. No, my name's Teaspoon. I'm Cybertron's <laughs> chief dish, dishwasher. I'm like, no, man, this this is what led to shit piece and all that stuff. Was was this scene right here? Well, what did he say? Um, it's like you know the planet, the planet after Unicron. Like two kids and a dog could take the planet. <laughs> Probability he is lying seventy thirty percent. Did you did you think it's weird that like one Quinnison gets a name, but like they didn't bother to name like all the Quinnisons? Well, I, I guess you know for plot, maybe they like maybe in the script they're named, but they just it doesn't it never comes That's up in sad. dialogue. But I'm sure like I'm sure the wiki has some kind of like you know information on that. But like I yeah like you know I remember Deliberata because he had a name, even though he yeah, looks like yeah. all of the they all, all the look rest, the same. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd never thought about this one. I just watched all the Doom, Doom Patrol episodes in the last 48 hours, so multiple personalities is fresh in my, my head here, but it's kind of like, a, you know, the one turns his head and we accept your decision. It's like, hey, you don't speak for the other four of us, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> How come your voice gets to take this suicide? <laughs> but uh... So you want you guys want to talk about uh, the return of Galvatron because that's the, another the, like excellent scene. Yeah. The, the greatest character who's ever been penned to television, Galvatron. Yes, I'd love to. I'm, I'm like this may this may reveal more about me than than anything else, but this is where me and the TF Wiki don't see eye to eye because because apparently I speak crazy because like I I love I love Galvatron like Galvatron's super awesome like. I, I, I think like half the quotes I wrote down like that that I loved when I was like taking notes and everything like that that basically is is it's like fifty percent Galvatron it's, quotes. It's such a great scene like like when he's bashing Cyclonus in the head like over and over again like <laughs> my plasma bath yeah my empire of desolation. <laughs> Oh I love, God. I love, I love when he bangs him into the thing, and he's like, "Ah, Cyclonus, so good to see you." You know, <laughs> or when he, yeah, like, did you, well, let me ask you guys this, like, like, well, I guess Derek, you like this is like, did it ever bother you that like it wasn't like Leonard Nimoy, or I guess in your case, like, you know, it sounded different than the movie, basically. I think. The, the like the way like uh, again like I said I wasn't of an age where I was hypercritical so I mean like I said I was like eight or nine but I, I think the way I rationalized it was when when Leonard Nimoy voiced Galvatron 
it's sort of pre-insanity, like pre-full-blown insanity. And then him getting, like, knocked into the, you know, far reaches of space and getting dumped into parole. Like, basically, the, the, the lava bath changed him from Leonard Nimoy back into Frank Welker with the, the crazy. Yeah, I think that's how I rationalized you know, it. Yeah, too. and I, I, I think I, I don't think I really spent too much time like like worrying about it. I mean I mean I, I it's not like I didn't notice it, but again, think about this though. Like like I didn't have that frame of reference when I first watched this. Like to me, Frank Welker as Galvatron was Galvatron. Like to me, Dick Gaudier as Rodimus was Rodimus. Like the first time I heard Rodimus and Leonard Nimoy, that was a little weird, and I just went, "Oh, because they're like stars, and they put them in the movie." Like, but I mean, I saw the movie maybe what like nine months after this, so so in that sense, like that. I mean, yeah, I, I rationalized the discrepancies, but I saw it in a different order. So to me, this Galvatron is my first Galvatron, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I like right when he comes out of the the lava there, whatever, the, the plasma. You know, you oh, see yeah, the yeah. sparklies all around his head kind of indicating he's all jacked but up. They, they always use that shot and all the, you know, what is it, that stuff that you like, Mike, where they do like the little, like, you know, what's happening blurbs at the end of the season. The, uh, the secret files of Telegram oh, yeah, 2. Yeah. Galvatron, he's batshit insane. Like, and and like and then again, I think I think like I said, this may reflect strangely on me, but I, I think I comprehend and appreciate batshit insanity. You know, maybe because I am batshit insane, but I just I I love all that stuff where they're like, you know, oh, uh, the sweeps and I will serve as your elite god, and he's just like, <laughs> elite god, you, you know, it's like pretty pretty fucking. I love how it takes like three sweeps before they realize they're being shot. Like, like one gets hit, <laughs> then the other one like looks at the other one, and he gets hit, and then like the other one's like, "Oh shit, we better get out of here." Like, <laughs> I, I think I think that was something too. Was I would go back and watch this scene because I think I think that sequence is like the epitome of Decepticon culture. Like, and 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 the reason why I would go back and watch it is because. My my other favorite scene to always point to is that scene in in Beast Wars where you know Beast Wars Megatron has his moment with Tarantulas where he's like you know I can I can stand you know your treachery but not your incompetence you know and and he's like he's like you know no mistakes you know that's what treachery requires and then Tarantulas is kind of like no mistakes you know and it's like I think I think that. And this scene kind of apply to one another. Like he's, I mean, I, again, reveals more about me than anything else. But Galvatron's teaching them all a lesson. You know what I mean? Like, like they're all stupid little kids. And yeah, they came and got him, but he was fine. Like he didn't need them to rescue him. He was just fucking stewing in his bullshit, going, "Oh, I got my ass kicked. This sucks." And he was gonna come back when he was damn good and ready. But then when they showed up, it was like he's kind of like, "Oh, well, now I'm gonna, you know." beat the shit out of y'all and see, you know, what you're made of. And, and that, I don't know. Anyway, that's just kind of like how I, I took the scene that it's, it's, it's very much, you know, oh, you're coming back and you're going to tell me what to do. No, I decide what to do. I'm the one in charge, you know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm basically putting you all in your place. Cause, cause you, you somehow I've been gone for like a few months and you all fucking think you're, you're running shit, but you're not like I'm running shit, you know, and it's just like one of those things where they're like, oh, 
okay, like we're not in charge anymore. He's like, that's right, you're not in charge. And then, and then once Scourge finally wakes the fuck up and realizes that, then he's like, okay, cool. Now you know who's fucking in charge, and and now you get it. And that's just to me, that's I don't know that 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 sequence is to me the epitome of of Decepticon culture as as it as it as it stands, you know. So that kind of makes me think of uh, Web World, which is obviously the the culmination here of. Galvatron's insanity, but you know, in the beginning of that, they're fighting the Autobots for the Isodrite, and there's one like Sweep coming in there. I'll help you, mighty Galvatron, and he stops whoever he's fighting. He grabs the Sweep and punches him. I don't need your help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then Galvatron blows up Thrall, which is like pretty badass. Like it's badass, and I I also felt like it was kind of like a, you know, it's like it's like him destroying a reminder and an example of his failure you know like it's like if, if if that that was his recovery planet you know it's like that's where he went to rehab after like Rodimus threw him out of unicron it's like he, he's like there's gonna be no reminders of this like i he, he says directly like he doesn't abide failure and that 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 probably is a living breathing example of his failure so his solution to that again i understand insanity his solution to that is to wipe it the fuck off the face of the universe, you know, because that that means it doesn't exist anymore. Thus, he has not failed, you know. Like so, I I kind of took it that way as well. And then on top of that, it does establish like just how powerful he is as a as a nemesis. Derek, I'm gonna do something rare and come to Slingshot's defense in this episode because when <laughs> the when the aerial bots come to rescue like Rodimus and the rest, like. Silverbolt gives the order, like, slingshot, like, go in there and get them out. And, like, but eventually you see it's Silverbolt that goes in and gets them out. So rather than blame Slingshot for not doing his job, I'm going to be like, okay, Silverbolt's like, like, how was Slingshot supposed to, like, like get them out? Like, what, what, what were they even talking about? Like, like, I feel like Silverbolt was, like, purposely sabotaging them, him there or something. <laughs> He was like, you know, so he was like, go in there and get our guys out. And Slingshot would have been like, what? Like, how the frig am I supposed to do that? Oh, never mind, <laughs> Slingshot. I'll do it myself. Uh, and I assume the uh, plane they're they're flying there is supposed to be broadside. Kind of yeah, his first uh, cameo uh, appearance. And yeah, obviously it, he gets his shit blown up here on the. Yeah, it's. His, it's his animation model, but it, it's yeah, I don't think it's him because it blows up at the end. So, but I, I kind of wonder what he feels like being a plane, but being flown by plane guys inside him, <laughs> kind of like uh, Galvatron flying Cyclonus in the movie. Well, they, they have that that mass distortion thing too. It's like Silverbolt picks them all up. So, I mean, conceivably, if the ACOM animators were not asleep at the wheel, then they could just have you know slingshot show up and they could all load up in slingshot just like they loaded up in the the silver bolt supersonic but they just did it the other way around i wonder yeah i wonder if that's what they meant to do like if that was like it was supposed to be a giant like slingshot that like landed like and rescued everyone yeah yeah and you you would think you know because slingshot infamously has like the vertical takeoff takeoff and and landing ability so you think he would be ideally like suited to rescue people but you know, he, obviously he's not that big. He's like, what am I supposed to do, Silverbolt? Like, get them one at a time? Like, oh, I can't trust you for anything, Slingshot. Like, get to the back of the plane. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I know you're talking about the, the cup funny shit, too. I think my favorite is when uh, when they're saying, oh, look, the, you know, the asteroid's about to, you know, come in. And he's like, yeah, I've seen plenty of asteroids. And Magnus is like, ones that are about to land on your head. And he's like, I gotta admit, that's new. <laughs> right, so is that it for this episode? or? I think I'm good. All right. Kyle, you want to move on to part three? Yeah. Detonated by the Quintessons, the planet Contuesta explodes as the Autobots flee. They escape the planet's destruction, but their ship is smashed by a chunk of debris, sending the group hurtling through space. Eventually, Ultra Magnus calculates that they will soon impact an object, but it isn't sure if it's a planet or a ship. Rodimus tells them to relax and enjoy the ride. Meanwhile, Cyclonus briefs Galvatron on recent developments, including the creation of a space platform to guard Earth. Intrigued, Galvatron alters course, deciding to punish the humans, assuming that they could build something to defend themselves against him. Some of the sweeps are unnerved by Galvatron's behavior, but Scourge tells them to shut up. Blur and Wheelie, carrying Metroplex's transformation cog, arrive in Earth's solar system and spot Galvatron. They warn Outpost 1, but Galvatron destroys the station with ease, then turns his sights on the Autobots. Fleeing to the planet Jupiter, the Autobots are forced to abandon ship with Metroplex's cog and end up falling into the upper atmosphere. Galvatron uses his cannon to electrically charge a nearby storm cell, causing a violent, explosive reaction which disrupts the transformation cogs of both Blur and Wheelie and ejects them from the planet. The Decepticons then depart for Char. Blaster sends warning to Mars where Marissa Fairborn of Earth Defense Command heads out on a rescue mission. Meanwhile, the Quintessons are contemplating how to best celebrate the death of the Autobot leader when they learn that Rodimus has survived. They conclude that they have no choice but to make an alliance with the one group that can help them, the Decepticons. The Autobots crash land on a bizarre planetoid named Goo. They soon discover that they can walk on the planet's gum-like surface but cannot get out. Cup points out that even though they're stranded, they could be worse. Predictably, a giant machine arrives and begins sucking up various garbage. Springer is caught and sliced up, and Rodimus is next. Despite RC and Cup's pleas, Rodimus stands his ground, letting the machine pull him up. He manages to clog the blades with some of the goo, causing it to crash. Deliberata is surprised, claiming that the Autobots were not programmed for self-sacrifice. On Char, the Quintessons approach the Decepticons with an offer of Energon. The battered Decepticons are at first hesitant, but once Dead End samples some Energon and lives, the others dogpile on it. The Quintessons make their proposal. In return for unlimited Energon, the Decepticons will destroy the Autobots for them. The Decepticons are nervous, saying that they can't take Cybertron in their present condition. The Quintessons tell them that Rodham's Prime is on Goo, and with only a small number of Autobots to guard him. Although it's an offer the Decepticons are eager to accept, Blitzwing is suspicious of the Quintessons, finding them familiar. Motormaster decides to have a vote. The Yays have it, but Blitzwing decides to remain on Char. The Quintessons are pleased, saying that Decepticons will soon be theirs again. From their ship, Fairborn detects metal fragments, which were blown all the way to Jupiter's moon of Io. On the surface, the Jovian moon, Wheelie and Blur wake up, not realizing that they aren't alone. Arriving on Char, Galvatron is incensed when Blitzwing informs him that Decepticons left following others, though he doesn't much care who. Galvatron vows to reclaim his rightful place as Decepticon leader. On Goo, the Autobots are searching for a way to shut off whatever equipment is keeping the goo warm and soft, allowing them to smash their way out. Suddenly, the Quintesson ship arrives, and a fleet of Decepticons emerges, firing at the trapped Autobots. To be continued. A space platform for humans? <laughs> this I must see! <laughs> 
Yeah, that one was great. Yeah, a lot of lot uh, more uh, great Galvatron quotes in this episode. Yeah, and I guess I guess we should we should uh, talk about uh, the 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 daughter Fairborn, which you know, it's a nice little nod to uh, to Flint from GI Joe. If if no one's aware of uh, Dashiell Fairborn, her father, and I guess Lady J, her mom. Yeah, look, I I never really got that until I was like you know deeper into. Like, you know, the Transformers fandom. I think it, probably not until, like, maybe the internet was, like, a thing. Like, I, I don't think I ever made that connection. Like, I mean, I watched G.I. Joe, but I wasn't, like, that big into it. Well, I mean, you'd have to... I mean, I, I, I can't remember a time on the cartoon. I mean, th- there might have been, like, some moment where they were, you know, talking about their real names and stuff like that. But, I mean, that didn't that didn't come up very often on the Sunbow cartoon. Like, I know, like, I, like Flint you, actually shows up like in that episode where like Marissa has a vision of him or I forgot right, what it was right. a nightmare of him or something. I but, think so. Yeah. And it, yeah. Is that, uh, is that the carnage in C minor? No, I, I forgot what episode it was, but it's, but it's she, the one where they go into like the negative universe, right? Yeah. Her they're kidnapped by the Agnes, illusions or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But, and it's like Flint's voice actor and everything, but I don't think yeah. I ever made the connection. Well, then, yeah, I'm trying to wonder, uh, or trying to remember, is he in the episode that has, like, the aged Cobra Commander that's later in Season 3 here? There's, like, that uh, sketchy dude, Snake, that shows oh, up. Yeah, oh, old yeah. Snake, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool that, like, I mean, I, I know it's not, like, the greatest figure ever, but, like, I remember seeing, was it a, I think it was, like, a Transformers Club exclusive, or maybe a G.I. Joe Club exclusive, but there was that one... Like Marissa Fairborn, like G.I. Joe or whatever. Yeah, and they, they repainted like a G.I. Joe cycle as like Afterburner, Afterburner? or something yeah, that came with yeah. her. Yeah, so. I thought that was I thought that was kinda cool. Yeah, like I've always liked Marissa Fairborn. Like I I'm glad they like introduced her into like the IDW comics and stuff and like she was always like a good supporting character, like wherever she showed up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I guess I'm like this scuzzoid like marissa fairburn does have a a existence outside of this continuity thing i wanted to spotlight from this uh uh episode is when wheelie straight up murders a thief. <laughs> See, that, that's like, that's that that and him and daniel taking out trypticon and headmasters is always going to be my go-to when people give me shit about wheelie i'm like fuck you wheelie will fuck you shit up don't talk shit about a great face shot He's like he's like Galvatron may be strong, but Wheelie is mean. Wheelie's a mean motherfucker. But what, that's, what's that, the deal with that set. line? It doesn't rhyme. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And then that's a setup for another like great Galvatron moment where the sweep's like, Galvatron, save me and you know, I despise whiners. Please meet your fate with dignity. Like, At first uh, the, the storm uh, has a it's Killing my audio receptors. And Galvatron's just, oh, oh no, it's music. <laughs> what is it? The uh, Anthem of Agony and uh, Symphony of Destruction or something like that. I, I love I love the whole arc where, where Galvatron starts out where it's like their the destruction is assured. And he's like, assured is not enough. I told you I want their heads. And then by the end of it, Cyclonus is like, Marty Galvatron, where are the Autobots' heads? He's just kind of like, never you know, mind. What does it matter? You know, he just punches him. He's like, shut the fuck up. It's fine. 
So then we get like the Autobots landing on goo. That, for some, that that sequence was always very memorable for me, like as a kid. And I, I I can only assume because goo is like bright, like orange. Like, so I always could like picture it in my head, I guess. I I like that moment for, for Rodimus because, I mean, that's, I think to me, one of the, the key, like, you know, you're the man type moments or whatever, you know, like it, it like it, they, they, I mean, I guess it comes at the cost of maybe, you know, Springer, because, you know, Springer basically gets disassembled in that, you know, and then you've got that memorable, like, shrill scream from, from uh, Susan Blue, you know, when, when Springer gets disassembled from that trash compactor or whatever it is, but, like, when, um, you know, when Rodimus, like, just steps up and kind of brings down the entire trash compactor, I mean, it basically shows, like, to... To anybody who's, I mean, see that—that's the kind of thing that I would show to people because I'd be like, "Hey, yeah. if you have any doubts about this guy, like, <laughs> look, he puts his life on the line and he, he survives and he wins." You know, so. I love, I love when Cop yells like, "Forget all the stuff I told you about heroism! <laughs> like, get out of there!" The other thing that's cool about or interesting about Goo is, I think this is probably the last time we ever see Grimlock in his robot mode. I think. No, I know people like to say he doesn't transform a lot in season three, but he actually does. Like he does, yeah. like he he transforms at least like maybe once in every episode he appears in. Ah, okay. Yeah, like yeah. he doesn't stay in robot mode for very long, but yeah, I'm trying to think. I think he shows up in robot mode at least a little bit in the uh, chaos episode, and I'm trying to think if he does at all in uh, you know Grimlock's new brain. I know, like, maybe not in Grimlock's New Brain, but I know the episode where him and Daniel went to the medieval, like, thing. Oh, oh yeah, that, that, that was, was a like, weird one. defending okay. the castle with his sword and stuff, so. Okay, okay. The, um, now, Mike, if you uh, grew up watching on the, the FA, or FHE release, they probably didn't have, uh, you know, like, the, the intros and the recaps or anything, right? It was just all kind of run together continuous, I assume. I think... If I remember correctly, like they had the the regular season three intro at the very beginning, and then when an episode ended, it would like fade out and then go into the like previously on Transformers, like even though you just watched it, like oh, and then, okay. but they cut out all the endings and like intros for the rest of it. Okay, the the reason I ask is so the tapes I grew up watching it on, and then. Uh to prepare for the episodes. I, I have them all on the Shout Factory DVDs, but there's actually like this 2B app where you can add the G1 Transformers. You can watch for free on there. But uh, two of the episodes that they had on 2B had an alternate season three intro. And that's, I remember seeing episodes with that season three intro as a kid on the tapes I had. And it's actually that alternate intro is kind of a recap of Five oh, Faces oh, of Darkness. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, with some of the events changed, so you see... You see goo, you see Galvatron blow up, you know, a planet instead of thrall. It's kind of like the goo stuff. And then you see uh, Rodimus with the garbage scowl, and then he comes firing out the end or the backside. And then instead of the normal flames, with I the always symbol on his chest, it says Transformers across his chest. Yeah, like I, I always remember from that intro the like white shock, like miscolored shock wave that like dies oh, on, yeah, on the, the energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, that's yeah. that. Like you said, Derek, that's like a super like badass moment for Rodimus and yeah. stuff like that. Especially when the whole thing like comes crashing down and like he drags himself out of it, and you know everyone's kind of like impressed and stuff. Like you know, Cup's like you know I've seen a lot of brave Autobots do a lot of brave things, but nothing like that. Like I I remember like as a kid feeling like this sense of awe and also like like because you. I don't know. For me, like I self-identify with a lot of the characters that I I become attached to and and watch, and it's like one of those things where, you know, I I I would do these these funny like okay, put it this way, I I would play Nintendo right, and if Mario got hurt by a, a you know plant or a flower or something, like people that would watch me play video games would laugh because I would say ow when my character in the video game got hurt. And and just to sort of extrapolate that for this scale, it's like, to me, it's like I sort of, I was vicariously in the moment. And it's like one of those things where you're like, wait, he's picking up the goo and he's sticking it in the trash compactor. And like, he potentially is also grinding up his hand as well, you know? So I'm like sitting there kind of going like, ow, like that's, you know, and it's like one of those things where it, it's a gambit, but it, it, it pays off, you know, in spades. So it's like one of those things where you're kind of like, you're, you're on pins and needles, but, but then you're also kind of, you know, proud and thrilled that it, it, uh, you know, that it basically was, was a successful gambit. Yeah. They did a good job animating it. That's not something you can really say with, with Acom, yeah. but there's yeah, that, yeah. a little that's bit of a struggle true. there. And, uh, Rodimus's face is pretty emotive and stuff as it kind of looks like he's in pain and really strained himself to to get it stopped. So like, I mean, it's a nice moment. There there are coloring errors and there are like, you know, moments of like, you know, using the wrong model and stuff. But generally, like, I think Acom did a like, you know, competent job on this like five parter, like in terms of at least getting the like, you know, the important stuff like right. I mean, it's kind of like, you know what it reminds me of a little bit, and, and I don't know if this is a knock or not, but it's like, I always remember, like, like when, when Eric Larson would draw, like, huge crowds in his comics, and, like, sometimes, like, the background of the crowd was never super detailed, and then, depending on the colorist, you know, like, one colorist might try to actually interpret who all the characters were and you'd have all these different blotches of color but like sometimes if it was like his own comic or whatever you know there'd be like the colorist where it's just like okay it's a sea of decepticons and they're just a bunch of indescript scribbles in the back of the main image like the the scribbles would just be like one flat color or something like that and it's like i i I guess i kind of feel like it's the other way around where it's like they're they're indescript scribbles sometimes or or not quite you know, as detailed as they could be, but then there are this mishmash of, you know, incorrect colors sometimes, or even correct colors, but it still seems like this blob of, of <laughs> sort of, you know. What's well, like they, they take the color models for existing characters, but slap them on, like, the wrong, like, character. Right, right. Yeah. Like, well, it's like, it's like what, it's like the Constructicons, like, color palette ends up on like shockwave in a pan yeah that's or, one of that was one of my favorites like as a kid yeah. it's like there's, there's a seeker colored like onslaught and yeah that's a, that's yeah. an awesome look i think that that was uh sweet i was always wanting to get uh i'm like surprised like heroes the, of cybertron like a starscream and painting that color because it looks pretty awesome you you may know more about this than i do but i mean based on all these acom like color swaps like are there lots of uh, fanfic like Sunstorm type characters that came out of this, or or I not? I don't really think so. Too much. Um, 
Yeah, probably. Back, I mean, back in the day when uh, I was, you know, when Transformers message boards was such a big thing in the early two thousands. Uh, there was like a Transformers name generator, you know, where you put your first and last name in and it spit something out. And so mine spat out Autocomer. And so <laughs> I think it's in the the next episode when Triptychon's on his rampage. There's a shot of uh, Beachcomber colored like gray and orange, almost like he's got like Wild Riders uh, color scheme from mm-hmm. the Stunicons on there. So I use that always as kind of my uh, avatar or whatever on uh all those message That's boards cool. was that miscolored uh, beachcomber. I think the the onslaught colored seeker was given like a name in like one of the fan club comics or maybe mm-hmm. I forgot, but I think his name is Slaughterhouse. Okay, which is yeah, pretty badass name for a badass color scheme. But like, uh, yeah, like uh, they have done that before. Like they have like taken some of those errors and made them into like characters yeah. and things. Yeah. And then then there's you know the case of this episode but then they they reuse them in multiple episodes some of these kind of original character models so i guess maybe it's the next episode when uh retgar shows up he's got kind of that blue motorcycle guy with his orange face oh yeah oh yeah that guy that guy is going to be in the uh matrix flashback coming up uh he's kind of one of the extra characters in the the chaos (laughs) episode i've mentioned he's just kind of a reoccurring background character that's it's a fairly fleshed out and detailed uh animation model uh, it's a pretty cool design, but he ends up showing up quite a bit in season three. Then, I think the other scene to like highlight here is the Quintessons like yeah. going to make their offer to the Decepticons, and I think uh, this this scene made uh, Dead End one of my favorite characters. Yeah, it's like, it's just... a good it's a good moment for him. Like he's like, "What does it matter? Well, just go out there and die." You know, like like he and then please I, make my death painless. Yeah, I, I I think that was like something where. If you, if you, I, I did own Dead End before I saw this, and I remember reading the text spec, and I think it really solidified that Bob Budiansky text spec of him because you, you, you read it, but then it's like it's one thing to read somebody describing a character like that and 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 associating it with the name, but it's another thing to sort of like see it in practice, and and this was a perfect like. You know, it's like if you look up like the textbook definition of like, you know, somebody who just gives two craps about living, you know, it's like there there it is. Right. He's like, he's like, oh, well, I might as well go out there, you know. Yeah, they did a good job with him throughout this whole five parter. He had a nice moment early on when uh, Cyclonus was trying to rally the troops to give to the cause, give uh, their energy. <laughs> yeah. He's. He's just, he has that face it, we're doomed. (laughs) And then, uh, the quintessential dead end quote, I think. Yeah. And then he has the coming up the next episode where they get the the friendly fire, the what's it matter where the death comes from, uh, in front or behind death is death. I I think I, I, I kind of was like, I, I feel like I'm in, in an age where I'm so used to cartoons, like shying away from stuff like that. And just the fact that they would use words like, you know, you know, kill and death in, in the context of this, it was, I don't know, to me it was, like, refreshing because I'm like, oh, they're not afraid to, like, say, I guess maybe because they're, you know, to the to the standards and practices or to whoever the adults in charge are, you know, they're just kind of like, oh, they're just robots, you know, so, like, maybe maybe it was less strict or something like that, but I, I just, I, I found it refreshing that, you know, they, they were able to say that with, and, and play it straight, you know, like, not... <laughs> 
not talk down to anybody who's watching it. You know, like that, if that's involved, like that's it's it's legit. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's not this thing of like you know, oh yeah, like you, I because I mean, th- there is that weird aspect of Transformers where like sometimes I think you 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 hear the words death brandied about, but then you know people would get shot, and then it wasn't as you know a huge a deal because it's like oh they're robots they get repaired like type thing. But I think it, given the context of you know, the characters that legitimately died and were not coming back in the movie, I think, you know, there there's some of that carryover, even though even though this is something that, you know, really doesn't move forward with that, it, it still had that sort of, I think, weight to it when, when I would hear the language. Another bit that always made me laugh about that scene, and it's another, like, perfect, like, character moment, is when... Dead End realizes, like, the Quintessons are offering them something, so he turns and he yells back into the hole, like, Swindle, like, I think this is your department. Yeah, yeah. Swind- like, Swindle doesn't get out of the hole, but you hear him, like, yell out from under, like, taste one of the Energon cubes, like, see if it's legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, test it. If you die, I'm still not coming out of this hole. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, just like, uh, yeah, they did a really good job of structuring multiple little character moments for a handful of characters, because we had the Cyclonus, uh, if anyone would know Swindle, uh, when he talked about the, you know, the yeah, yeah. asteroid coming and grabbing uh, Rodimus, and man, those scucks always would settle with anyone for the right price. And so that definitely, uh, I guess it was kind of a, I mean, the the combiners were still part of the the 1986 toy line, right? So I'm sure that's why. I mean, they were ones uh, from the Decepticons, really the only hangovers. Uh, or holdovers from the first two seasons. Then, you had Constructicon moments, Combaticon moments, Stunicon moments, and then the only other characters that had speaking parts that were kind of reoccurring were Astro Train, Soundwave, and Blitzwing. Soundwave had one line. Um, and and but, like, uh, Swindle, Swindle's like an easy character to write for, too. Like, he's just yeah. like, you know, he's got a distinct personality, he's got a distinct gimmick, you know, just like Dead End. Like, some of these guys, like, stand out from their teams. Yeah, yeah. I just think it was an easy way for them to pick one character from each team to highlight and say, as a way to, hey, make sure you buy the Stunicon box set. Hey, yeah. those Combaticons are still in stores. Buy some of those. Get, get those get those toys. I, I thought it was ironic that, that now I'm looking at it and I'm like, the irony that, that when the, the Quintessons are making their overture to the Decepticons and Blitzwing is sitting there trying to rack his brain about where he remembers these guys from. Like, Octane is like right next to Blitzwing. And the, the reason why I think that's ironic is because, you know, Blitzwing in this has his arc, you know, and, and, and basically that makes him, you know, uh, you know, excommunicado from the Decepticons after that, you know, after part five, right? But then it seems like somehow along the way they decided, okay, well, Blitzwing's toy isn't on the shelf anymore, and they somehow transferred all of that over to Octane somehow. But it's like it, it, it was never really clear on what exactly Octane did. And then you wonder like maybe if they had if they had started that whole thing with Octane in this, would that have still worked, or would that be weird if like because basically you have like a really good moment between Blitzwing and Galvatron when Blitzwing were, you know, when Galvatron finally returns, you know, and, and he's like, ah, oh, Blitzwing, so good, you know, he's like legit happy to see, you know, my old comrade, like, I, I remember you from my days with Megatron, like, you, you know, we're buds, you know, and everything, and like, but 
I guess that wouldn't have worked if you didn't have the previous, you know, Octane had no, I mean, as far as you knew, you know, if you were watching the other episodes, you know, and then the character hadn't been introduced yet, like that would have been a semi-phony moment, you know, if it was between yeah. him and Octane. Well, I I had always kind of wondered. I hadn't seen that many episodes with Blitzwing uh, growing up too. I even with Blitzwing, I didn't know that that felt like that moment was earned because I can't mm-hmm. think of you know trip, typically uh, Astro Train was at least in the episodes I had on tape spotlighted more than Blitzwing was, and Blitzwing kind of always seemed like an incompetent idiot. So like, all of a sudden, he's this kind of great noble warrior that uh, Galvatron's super excited to see. It felt like yeah. probably the the best. Um, character to maybe fill that would probably been Soundwave. I mean, I didn't want Soundwave to die, but he's kind of that loyal henchman hangover from or holdover from, uh, you know, Megatron, or I guess that would have been a nice way to slot in uh, Reflector, too, and maybe give uh, the three of them a a nice send-off or something instead of just disappearing. Yeah, it kind of struck me as odd that that Blitzwing was the one chosen for that. And then as far as Octane's thing... I think, and I think it's just because the episodes are bad. Like, one, they're out of order, um, and two, I just don't think they. It, it's almost uh, reminds me of uh, the Star Wars prequels. There's like a message in there, but the connective tissue is not yeah. there. So you just uh-huh. kind of jump from plot point to plot point. It's yeah, like, it's like he takes Trypticon and is kind of doing unauthorized stuff. I think they're like making money selling oil or whatever, and that that ties back into the Car Carbabia thing. There is, um, and then, there is. Then he aids oh. Starstream during the one of those ghost episodes. So it's kind of like those two files combined. I think has him on the permanent outs. There, there is like Japanese promotional art from like you know when this show was airing in Japan of Blitzwing being haunted by Starstream's ghost. So like yeah, like I think you know at some point like Blitzwing was going to be in those episodes and they would have continued his arc. Like from you know the throughout the season, but yeah, like Derek said, like it, you know the the Larrys upstairs had to be like, what are you talking about, like Blitzwing? He's an old toy. We need to plug like the new Octane toy. Like yeah, you know. we, we put another triple changer in there, one that's on the shelves, and that's that's basically what happened, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, it, like it, it at least like Blitzwing is a guy like you know, like or you yep. would have known like at that point. So like it, they. they you know, Galvatron would recognize him. Like, whereas if it was Octane, he would have been like, you know, who the hell are you? <laughs> so good to see you, whoever the fuck you are. Ah, <laughs> my best friend, Octane. Like, remember all those adventures we had? Oh, and going back to something we talked about 40 minutes ago, I remember now the, the episode with the, the Flint cameo. I think that was the Killing Jar. I think that was the name of that episode. Yeah, that sounds right. Yep. All right, so you want to go on to episode four or anything else let's, on this episode? Let's do it. All right. Episode four. On Goo, the Decepticons open fire on the Autobots and miss spectacularly. Judge Deliberata cheers them on until Grimlock slams him into the Goo. As they get closer, Galvatron arrives, intending to punish the Decepticons for their disloyalty. Upon seeing and being shot by their long-lost leader... The Decepticons pledge their loyalty to Galvatron and tell them that they were bribed into following the Quintessons for Energon. Galvatron is not happy and decides to punish the Quintessons for their usurpation. Usurpation? Is that is that how you say uh, it? I don't even know. Is that, is that even a word? Yeah, yeah that's what I was wondering. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't, 
I didn't. Anytime I, didn't I see, uh, anytime I see usurped, all I think of is Nelson. <laughs> the the episode where Homer turns into a good person is giving away all of his clothes. The ah, you've been usurped. <laughs> That's like the Quintessons have a quiet chuckle. They're like, you have been usurped. usurped. <laughs> <laughs> all right. On Goo, the Autobots find the control center, and Rodimus Prime and Ultra Magnus Rodimus Prime! Rodimus Prime! And Ultra Magnus, he's huge! (laughs) (laughs) Find out that the planet is a garbage collection system for the Junkions. Contacting Rekgar, they request assistance after managing to talk TV. On IO, Blur and Wheelie are under attack by the Light Poles, who are ferociously flapping their wings in the two Autobots' faces. Wheelie is overtaken, but tells Blur to leave him and take Metroplex's transformation cuff. Instead of leaving his comrade to die, Blur heads right into the thick of the swarm. Marissa Fairborn arrives and manages to drive off the Light Poles, but a number of them transform into missiles and destroy her ship. The three begin a search through the ship's wreckage, hoping the communications are still working. Galvatron introduces himself by firing on the Quintesson ship. Realizing that Galvatron must be handled differently, the Quintessons offer an alliance with the Decepticons against the Autobots, but Galvatron says he never asked for their help. They offer Galvatron the Decepticon Matrix of Leadership, but Galvatron simply demands it in exchange for letting them live. The Quintessons say that their lives are not enough and that the Autobots must be destroyed. Galvatron attacks the Autobots, but the Junkions arrive and melt the goo out from under the Autobots, sucking them right through the planet. Judge Deliberata winds up getting ejected in the process. Galvatron destroys goo, but by the time he's done, the Junkions and Autobots have fled. Heading back to the ship, Galvatron rants at the Quintessons, who counter that they would be powerful allies. Galvatron demands to know why the Quintessons haven't destroyed the Autobots themselves. They explain that the Autobots have been made unpredictable by their interactions with the humans. Snaring at fear of the flesh creatures, Galvatron agrees to an alliance. The Decepticons cry Hail Galvatron to affirm their support of their leader, and even the Quintessons give out a shout. On the planet of Junk, Rekgar restores Springer to life. However, Rodimus is not as cheered up as expected. He has questions about the Quintessons, about their hostility towards the Autobots, how they know so much about them, and about their intentions. Rodimus has become convinced that the answers behind the Quintessons lie in the Matrix, but he still doesn't know how to consult the wisdom of the ages. Springer makes a sarcastic suggestion, saying that he should just come close to death again. Although R.C. says not to do that, Springer assures her that Rodimus is not as stupid as he looks. Wandering off, the Autobot commander short-circuits himself and falls unconscious. Rodimus enters the Matrix, where he is greeted by the spirits of the ancient Autobots, who show him the face of the creators of the Transformers, the Quintessons. Eons ago, the Quintessons used Cybertron as a factory to build two lines of robots, consumer goods and military hardware, who involved into the Autobots and the Decepticons, respectively. Millennia of torturous abuse led the Autobots to rebel and drive the Quintessons off Cybertron. Afterward, the Cybertronians warred with each other for control, which was then ended when the Autobots developed the art of transformation. A golden age followed, which was ended when the Decepticons mastered transformation and created a new leader, Megatron. 
He killed the Matrix Bearer, who passed the Matrix to Alpha Trion, one of the oldest among them. However, Alpha Trion did not take the Matrix for himself, but gave it to another who would challenge Megatron. This was Optimus Prime, who became the Autobot leader for the third Cybertronian War, which has raged for 9 million years and continues to rage even now. Rodimus reactivates to find Springer and RC seriously freaked out. Dismissing their concerns, he, need, he tells them they need to get to Cybertron as soon as possible. Near Cybertron, Galvatron and the Quintessons plot their strategy. They will attack on two fronts, Autobot City and, and Cybertron. On Earth, the Constructicons are making changes to a human city. At dawn, they activate a transformation sequence and the city begins to change. As the humans flee, the dust settles to the ground. In the place of the city now stands Trypticon. On Cybertron, an Earth Defense Command ship requests emergency landing clearance. Scepter warns that it might be a trick, but Cup refuses to allow a ship full of innocents to perish, giving them clearance to land. But the ship instead crashes into Cybertron's central power facility, shutting down the planet's defenses. Storming from the Quintesson ships, Galvatron leads the Decepticons in an attack. Aboard the vessels, the Quintessons are pleased, for soon the Autobots will be destroyed, and then they will deal with the Decepticons. To be concluded. Phew, so that was a, a lot happened in that episode. Yeah, yeah. I love the, you know, just once couldn't your attitude reflect the gravity of the situation? And he's like, not if I can help it. <laughs> Oh yeah, big summer party, folks. What does he say? Like when he's uh, last, last big party, party of the party summer, of the folks. Summer. Let's go yeah. out with a bang. Yeah. And and this is my this is my my twisted uh, conspiracy theory. But uh, my my thinking is that whoever wrote the screenplay for Leon or the professional, if it's Luke Besson or whatever, like that Luke Besson was watching all these season three episodes of Transformers because. In, in that movie, you can see that Natalie Portman's character, when she's the little girl, is watching episodes of Transformers. But it's like all the old, you know, like season one, season two Sunbow clips of like Prime fighting with Megatron and stuff like that. But Gary Oldman's character the, is the kind of, you know, insane cop or whatever. And like there's that pretty famous sequence where they're like, who do you want us to get, boss? And he's like, he's like, bring me everyone. It's like, everyone. And he's like, Everyone! And he does his little Oscar Gary Oldman thing, and I, I always thought like like the sequence where like you know they they come upon like the Autobots on Goo and the Quintessons and their attack dog Decepticons, and then they're they're kind of like attack attack boom, and Galvatron's like everyone. You know, I always thought that was kind of. <laughs> They were they were simpatico, uh, you know Gary Oldman in, in the professional and, and and Galvatron. So this is uh, one of my all time favorite episodes, uh, particularly for the uh, Matrix flashback. I used to just rewind that and watch it over and over as a kid. Uh, didn't have uh, more than meets the eye. Didn't have uh, Wardon, where the you know we first meet Alpha Trion and the the aerial bots are introduced. Uh, didn't have the episode with uh, the female Autobots. Or Omega Supreme's origin that has the flashback with uh, Robo Smash or anything. So it was really, you know, this 10 minute sequence, Rodimus going through the Matrix, and then the uh, Forever is a Long Time Coming episode uh, later in season three that, you know, really dove into the origin of the Transformers and developed all these mythos that, you know, I just 
soaked up as a kid and just watched those episodes over and over again to kind of go into uh, Cybertron's ancient past there. That stuff just fascinated me as a kid. Do you guys, like, I was going to ask, like, what do you guys think of the, like, Quintesson origin? Because, you know, most Transformers fans will tell you, you know, there's the two origins. And, you know, one is, you know, the Quintessons built them and one is, like, Primus created them. And, like, I don't think those origins are, like, incompatible. I think you can, like, kind of, you know, futz it and say both of them are correct. But do you have, you guys have, like, a preference? Do you, would you rather not have one of them or... I mean, I guess I guess I've come to the the popular logic that the you know the Furman origin is is the 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 widely accepted one. But I mean, I, I think in context, like that didn't even exist when this came out. Like they were they were trying to come up with with a reason. I mean, the only thing that bugs me about this particular origin is, you know. There, there's, you know, I'll just, I'm not, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but you know, there's, there's comments, and 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 you can, you can have an argument on whether they're justified or not, but you know, there's comments on the TF Wiki and things like that about, you know, Carbomia, you know, Casey Kasem. Obviously, there's reasons why he left. He felt like, you know, those were inappropriate kind of, you know, jokes or, or caricatures or whatever you want to call them, right? And and you know, whatever you're feeling about that, that's fine. But I think if you're going to point the finger at something like that, then you also have to kind of look at it where, you know, the Autobots are consumer goods and the Decepticons are military grade. It's like, well, if 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 your problem is that you're taking a whole group of people and stereotyping them or or you know making assumptions based on generalizations, well, isn't it a pretty pretty big generalization to assume that everyone in the military is going to become a Decepticon and evil, you know, like, I, I don't know, like that, that to me is, I think the only troublesome part of that, that aspect of the origin to me. But I mean, as far as like the continuity based stuff of it, I mean, I remember having like total fun, like reading people's fanfic timelines, you know, like you, you used to do it too, Mike. I mean, I just remember back in the day going to, you know, big bot and bot talk and all this other stuff. And there were, there were all these great, like kind of, I guess, amalgamated timelines where people, you know, I remember they had like official quote unquote, you know, star Wars canon timelines where they, they would have these posters with like the dark horse comics and where they fit in between, you know, it's like 5,000 years before a new hope and everything post a new hope. And they, they tell you all the comics and books and how they all lined up in the timeline for, for the expanded universe, you know, dark horse, you know, book canon or whatever. And, and they had these like fan made, transformers things that were the same i mean they were the same thing it's like you know nine million years ago you know 15 million years ago you know quintessons did this but they you know and they they tweaked it so it was like well primus and and unicron had their battle they turned into asteroids and did the whole simon Furman thing which came years later after this anyway but they did all that stuff and then and then you know and then the quintessons came to cybertron said they created the transformers but really they were just taking it over and enslaved them and that's that was their little tweak to the timeline you know just saying they weren't they didn't necessarily create them like in the spiritual sense like like primus did but that they they you know uh, basically enslaved them and propagated this sort of pseudo origin that wasn't quite as true as they professed. And it's like, you know, I, I guess 
I guess my answer would be I'm I'm fine with like that as someone's headcanon. Like I I sort of appreciated that, and I I almost think that that timeline, you know, that little fanfic timeline in and of itself probably subconsciously introduced me to the notion of headcanon. You know, like like the way you wanna you know you you wanna amalgamate everything and and make it all fit. Like this is a this is a means by which to to do that, even though you know maybe all the the square pegs don't go into the round holes you can kind of you know it's like well guess what you're gonna you're you know you're just gonna make it fit the best you can you know yeah my uh preference was probably just uh if i had to just stick with one strict one um instead of a blending of the two had probably always been this this origin here the cartoon just because i was introduced to it in such a young age at you know three just watching it over and over again I started reading the, the G1 Transformers comics uh, when I was five or six. I had a bunch of those, but I did not have uh, issue 50 that uh, shelled out the origin. Uh, uh, I think it's a 51. little later. Cause, cause it, that it's was in the like a, 60s, uh, I think. 60s. 60s. Yeah. I, I did not have that issue. I probably didn't read that till I was uh, probably around 12. That was probably the, the kind of the golden age of... Uh, Transformers uh, comics for me it was uh, I got my hands on more of the, the floppies of the, the later Marvel run that I was missing and then got introduced to the, the UK stuff and I had the Titan book reprints in the, the early 2000s so um, and then kind of right around that time then that's when Dreamwave brought back the, the G1 kind of their own uh, continuity there and I just love those comics um, so that was really kind of the, the heyday by that time I was about 15 or so. But, you know, I still had a, a fondness for this original origin. And then, yeah, I guess kind of how I headcanon it is that, uh, you know, Primus either created or found a way to attract uh, the Quintessons to Cybertron and use those as kind of his vessels to ramp up the Transformer mm-hmm. production yeah. instead of making each one himself yeah. off the line. Like, you know, you know, yeah. it's funny for for an old timer like me, like like I I experienced most of this in real time. But I mean, I had probably even a wider gap than than you did with the comics. You know how you said like, oh, you were, you know, you were like, you know, whatever, like five or you know what, and then and then later you were twelve or something. You know, like, but I mean, even even in real time, I mean, what I think I was like eight when I probably watched this for the first time but i think by the time they finally introduced that and like i don't know what was it like 66 or it was probably one of those issues like i think know, it's the... 61 or 62 one? yeah okay. i guess i mean i guess it, i guess it'd be the probably the primal screen issue right yeah it's but, the yeah, yeah it's that's 61 the I think. cover with 60 and 61 screaming yeah yeah and I, I think by the time they got around to doing that i mean i i feel like i was almost you know i don't know 14 or 13 i don't know like it just seemed like it was years later so i mean i could understand why i mean for me it was the same thing as you like that that wasn't so much like headcanon but you know to me it was like oh there was the comic origin and there was the cartoon origin and i i thought both were legit within their own arena but i did find it fascinating that somebody made an attempt to sort of amalgamate and blend them together you know Ultimately, I think that's uh, probably what I, why I latched on to uh, the Dreamwave continuity so much. And I know it gets uh, 
shit on a lot nowadays and stuff. But, dude, I remember being on the message boards. Everyone was fucking amped up for that shit, especially yeah. the yeah. Furman's War Within. And then by the time yeah. I got to Volume 3 with the ongoing, uh, the G1 portion was a lot smoother and a lot more intriguing. We had the mystery around Sunstorm and everything. that Everyone was eating that shit up till they went belly up. Yeah, like I... The, I would like the flashback here is done like really well done. Like it's very, you know, like I, I really, enjoy, I, I especially enjoy like when it, when Rodimus meets Optimus, like in the yeah. matrix, like I, I think where, you know, he says like there was a young Autobot named Orion Pax and, you know, he became Optimus prime and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Oh, just like, you know, hot rod and Rodimus prime, basically it's, yeah. You know, the, the parallels and, you know, Optimus tells him, like, you know, addresses him as Rodimus. And, you know, you know, it's a handing off of the torch sort of scene. I kind of like how, you know, it's like Rodimus is doing his little spirit walk through the Matrix. And, and the way they, I, I kind of like you say, like the way they go through that is, they, I, I like how they effectively use different voice actors and the the way it's supposed to be is you're you're going through the generations. So they start you with you know one leader from millennia ago, and then you graduate to each leader until you get to Optimus Prime. Of course, the thing that always like drove me crazy about stuff like this is the same thing that like drove me crazy about like you know as an adult at least is is like you're you're sitting there going okay, so Captain America quote unquote dies in Civil War. And then Captain America's quote unquote spirit talks to Thor in J. Michael Straczynski's run. But in reality, he wasn't really dead. He was going through the time stream. And it's almost like, so it's like, is Optimus Prime's essence and soul and spirit in the Matrix? Or is it in that zombified corpse that gets resurrected later? You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like I, I, I know it's like all heavy and uh, theological kind of spiritual, you know, concepts that are that are kind of heady, but it's just like one of those things that like baffles me because I'm like, well, if you're, if you're out and out deceased, then, then you're like, okay, then your energy transfers, your spirit goes somewhere. For me, it's totally plausible. His spirit, his energy, it's, it's now in the matrix. He's joined the collective, but then it's like, then what happens? Do you then leave the collective? You know, like, do, does your spirit say, fuck this noise, I'm going back, you know, and then and it goes back? Like, I, you know, to me, I'm like, I don't know how that works, but, like, I always thought, like, that aspect of it always messes with my brain when I try to, you know, rationalize, you know, what, what comes later, you know? For me, it was a little easier to rationalize me just because they were robots than it was for me to wrap my head around uh, Jarrell's personality with... Um, the the answer to a kajillion questions being oh right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for superman the movie so it was kind of like a i don't know it's like a robot with electric impulses it's <laughs> able to bounce from the matrix back to his body to whatever you know i'm sorry my son i do not have the answer to that question <laughs> press star for more options no, the, 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 <laughs> uh, the weirdest one with all that is is it in superman 2 when the the poem about trees like I've Wait, never seen how's that work? Pictures. Didn't you say when he landed in the first movie that he's been dead for many, however many, like thousands of year, Earth years or whatever? Like, that poem didn't exist. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we got Wi-Fi in the, the little crystalline ship. We, we know what's up. Is it me or did Springer come back to life as more of a dick? 
Like, like I, 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 I always felt like Springer well, was like extra dicky, like in this episode. Hey, like, you get disassembled, you come back as a dick. I don't, I don't know, but maybe, maybe there's something to that. <laughs> you die a couple times. You no, know, like he's like, he's like, you know, like I was wrong. He is as dumb as he looks. Like, you know. <laughs> Well, and, and maybe, well, maybe he's probably, a, he's probably uh, pissed off. Uh, Rodman is probably a cock blocked in there. You know, he gets rebuilt. He's thinking, oh, yeah, me and Aussie are going to go back. And <laughs> comes out, and she's all worried about him instead. And, oh, what the fuck, man? No, but uh, I feel like uh, Springer here, uh, they really just amped up his machismo. But I feel like uh, all the image guys sat around and just watched this episode over and over again. And that just made, uh, they were going to make that as their hero archetype for all the, the image heroes. Like, yeah, he's fucking cool. Look at his smart mouth. He's tough. <laughs> Springer is a hero, not a zero. He's tough as nails. <laughs> when all else fails, call Springer. 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 Oh my God. <laughs> Speaking of '90s cartoons, yeah. Oh my god. I love, I love the 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 moment where you know they they go in to turn off the goo, and then you know they they turn on, you know, basically they, they get onto to the junkie on frequency, and so Rekar is like, "You are in danger of being canceled or losing your time slot." And of course, Ultra Magnus, as previously mentioned by Kyle, you know, is, is not hip to the lingo. He's like, what is he talking about? And, and, and Rodimus, I think I've learned everything I know about being smug, but not too smug from Rodimus Prime, because he's like, we're going to get killed. Like, and, and it's like, he totally knows what he's talking about. And I, I feel like it's like one of those things where like, I, I, I I can remember moments where I, I I just felt like I was in that moment, like I was in the know, and it's like it's like the cool way to be C three PO. It's like you can translate, but yet you're not you're not being super obnoxious about it, you know. And like I just I, I don't know, I just think that's a really cool moment. Do you remember uh, Derek at all? What your thoughts were when you first saw Retgar here? Since you hadn't seen the movie, where you're like, what the hell is this guy doing? I don't know. Like, like what I remember about Rekgar was, I feel like the first time. I mean, I you, you'd think maybe this was my introduction to Rekgar, but I kind of feel like I had a lot more confusion about Rekgar because I think my introduction to him was the toy commercial, and the toy commercial kind of showed the the fight in the movie between Springer and Rekgar, and and because his name was Junkion, like, and he was fighting Springer in the commercial. I think initially I thought. Junkions were like some sub faction of Decepticon. So I yeah. was like sort of confused. And then, but I guess my basis of understanding was at least I had read the Marvel movie adaption. Yeah, that's true. So, so I knew kind of like, oh, okay, he's one of their allies. Like he helped rebuild Ultra Magnus. So that's why he knew who Ultra Magnus, you know, it's like I, I had enough of a concept based on the, the comic. Like I, I knew the story, but I didn't know all the. I don't know, nuances or beats or how it played animated. I just kind of, you know, and, and some of the, I don't know, some of the dialogue in the movie adaptation was must have been from either, I don't know, previous scripts or, or maybe like maybe, a, you know, a point two draft behind like a point three draft because like I, I remember specifically a lot of the fights between 
like Prime and Megatron. It was like they totally were like soliloquying each other to death or whatever. Like they had totally different dialogue where it just, you know, they were like silver surfering each other as they fought, you know, like and, and beating each other up, but having these long ass monologues about, you know, 400 millennia ago, we did this and that and the other thing. Like they were Abe Lincolning each other as they were like beating each other to death and stuff. So like that I remember, but I don't, I don't know that there was necessarily too much dialogue flim flammery with with the junkions it seemed pretty pretty straight on so I, I mean i think i got the basic idea like they 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 talked like tv lingo and and rodimus you know and you know it was like rodimus wheelie people like that were like hip to the they were hip to the jive you know like they they knew what was going on so what do you guys think of like the creation of Trypticon like in this episode? Like I even even as a kid I was kinda like, What? Like the Constructicons <laughs> like went overnight and like turned an entire human city into Trypticon? Like what? Like Yeah, I just wonder uh, how many uh, thousands or millions of people were decimated by him transforming yeah, I know. his first like, time. They don't they don't really yeah, like, you know, the, the, you see people running in terror, but like you know uh, the gory details. You you got to wonder does does Trypticon have like blood splatters all over his like innards or whatever? Like, God, I hope so. Like, man, that uh, that miscolored long haul sure is good at wiring up shit. <laughs> I mean, what if what if it's just like when when Galvatron blew away the space station and everybody like just managed to jump away in spacesuits? Like, do you think everybody in the city like right before Trypticon transformed, we just didn't get the deleted scene of them all? Jumping out of the city in spacesuits and parachutes. They all, are they all have no. parachutes? Yeah, I was going to say they all have a Cobra Cooper uh, parachutes. <laughs> they all jump out at the last No, wait, 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 wait. wait. We're, we're using the G.I. Joe explanation. I, well, let's use the Dragon Ball Z explanation. It was a Sunday, was so Sunday. all those buildings were empty. Yeah. Every Everyone in the entire city was on vacation for Vacation Sunday because Mayor Dog was like, it's Vacation Sunday. You all have to get the fuck out of town. <laughs> You mentioned it, Kyle, and it is bizarre. Like, all the Constructicons are the correct color, except for Long Call, who has, like, this orange and, like, purple color scheme. That always confused me as a kid. I was like, what the, who is that character? And, yeah, then even when they do, like, zoom out shots, when they, you know, have the control panel and Trypticon lives and everything, they zoom back out of that, it's, like, four green Constructicons, and then there's Blue Long Haul just hanging out by himself. Oh, that's I guess that you just have to chalk that up to. Oh, Acom. It's like yeah, the, oh, they had another bad so one that I think uh, was during this uh, episode. Or maybe it's the next one. It, well, between the Jupiter scenes and then when they finally do get to Earth, uh, when uh, Blur and Wheelie get to to Earth with the transforming cog it's like they kept laying the the wrong background the animation cell in the wrong background like they're clearly in a daylight situation and then all of a sudden you get like outer space behind them and then it was opposite on the uh io moon there's a couple times yeah. where they're running around and all of a sudden it's like but all of a sudden they're on earth in the middle of the day <laughs> it's sunny instead of the the space background well i also love the bit where um in the quintazon like spaceship where the Decepticons all yell, hey, all hail Galvatron, and the Quintessons all look at each other, and then they're like, all hail Galvatron, like, I guess so. Like It's like, when, when in Rome, you know? Yeah. Like, I love I love that moment where, like, Galvatron keys in on, is like, well, you know, why haven't you done this yourselves? Like, why don't you just go after the Autobots? And then they start explaining, like, how they can't understand humanity, and I love, I love Galvatron's response is, the humans! You fear 
the human side. He's like, they're weaklings. Like, who cares? Like, we'll take care of it. It's, it's fine. The scene there where they all come out of the ship and they're uh, uh, attacking Nungu there, that has some of the most awesome uh, miscolors of the entire, <laughs> entire <laughs> yeah, series. Yep. There's... Uh, I think that's the uh, some sweeps and like wild rider colors. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Octane's uh, character model colored like Grimlock, and then next to him is Snarl, uh, his, uh, character model, but he's in Rodimus colors. I think that aforementioned Shockwave and Constructicon colors is yep. in that battle too. Oh, I think there's two of them like right next to each other. I think and uh, inside I'm, the I'm, I'm surprised the ship there. Surprised Galvatron wasn't firing on himself in that fucking scene. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny. <laughs> yeah, there's the Motormaster that clearly drew Motormaster in the wrong scene or had the wrong voice. I said, Galvatron, you have returned. And then the, yeah. the next line is the, spare me and I'm yours to command. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like it was the non caramel voice and then all of a sudden it goes back to the caramel voice it's like it's like dude motormaster you're not you without a snickers you know and then all of a sudden he eats the fucking snickers and he's back to normal and shit you're not you when you're getting shot in the back by your boss i was was just thinking of like like in the first episode where there's like the two galvatrons it's like galvatrons on the quintesson ship and then galvatrons also attacking like in that mob of decepticons so it's like you know the quintessons are like what's the deal with that and galvatrons like like I'm so crazy, I could be in two places at once. <laughs> it makes no sense. It's insane. That makes me think of uh, the for- "Forever is a Long Time Coming," where they have the a time portal open that starts distorting time, and there's like two. Uh, I think it's two superiors in two places at once. And the Quintesson that opened all this, he's losing his shit. And he goes into kind of like a Galvatron screaming, the fabric of time and space is falling apart. Well, clearly the fabric of time and ACOM space <laughs> is always falling apart. Right? Sorry, I keep mentioning that episode. That's another good one that, that I love. That's probably my favorite standalone uh, season three episode. And hey, that one know. is uh, written by uh, Jerry Conway of all. Yeah. People, I think that's the only uh, episode he wrote of Transformers. It's kind of weird that he just dropped in there and it's like, a, "Here's a super heavy continuity nugget. I'm out." But uh... yeah, there's there's a lot of like Marvel writers like yeah. writing these '80s cartoons, especially like Steve Gerber, like Len Wein, like a bunch of them like wrote like Transformers yeah. episodes. Yeah, I think Steve Gerber was like one of the head creative consultants for the entire season, and then Len Wein he wrote yeah. Web World. I, I assume just because it was Marvel Studios, it was like a hey, we kind of want to transition to TV. Can you get us a gig here? And uh, and then you know, Marv Wolfman wrote a lot of stuff too. I think he did. Yep, Return of Optimus yep. Prime. All right. Well, anything else about this episode? Or I think we're good. I guess I'll I'll go on to episode five, and we're we're at the home stretch here. So the Decepticons open a sortie against the Autobots on Cybertron and the initial attack took out the whole defense system. Ultra Magnus tells the others to go while he holds them off. Rodimus Prime says that Magnus's courage will be remembered. Unsaid is the possibility that there will be no one to remember it. From their ship, the Quintessons calculate that it will take less than a day to completely defeat the Autobots. After all, they've given Galatron something worth fighting for. On Earth, the new Decepticon battle station heads for Autobot headquarters. Pipes and blam, blow, zow! Warpath 
lead a counteroffensive, but their efforts are stymied when the station transforms into Trypticon. Warpath blames out orders Teletran 1 to activate the defense systems, but Trypticon causes the volcano to collapse on the ship, destroying it. With the task there complete, Trypticon heads to his next target, Autobot City. On Io, Skylinks hurries to rescue Wheelie, Blur, and Marissa Fairborn from certain death from the natives. However, the Predacons arrive to steal the transformation cog intended for Metroplex. Initially, the Predacons turn out to be all bark with no bite. However, they merge into Predaking and manage to disorient Wheelie, Blur, and Fairborn. However, Skylinks attacks Predaking and causes them to separate. Skylinks orders the others to board him, and Wheelie discovers the cog. Meanwhile, Galvatron orders Blitzwing to give a status report to the Quintessons. However, Blitzwing overhears that the Quintessons don't have the Decepticon Matrix. What's worse, they want the Sharpticons to pull a large switch which will deactivate the Transformers all over the galaxy. Blitzwing tries to tell Galvatron, but the psychotic Decepticon leader merely beats him. Blitzwing realizes that there is one other option, side with the Autobots to stop the Quintessons. On Earth, Trypticon has arrived at Autobot City, but Wheelie is able to get the cog to Pipes, who installs it in Metroplex. Coming online, Metroplex and Trypticon throw down. Their battle extends into another city, which everyone manages to evacuate from because it's a Sunday a Dog Mayor told them all to go. Finally, Metroplex manages to overwhelm Trypticon and throws Trypticon a great distance where he lands in the ocean and sinks. On Cybertron, Blitzwing, Rodimus Prime, and Spike Witwicky manage to stop the Sharkticons, but Galvatron, thinking the switch is the key to the Decepticon Matrix, pulls it. With the Transformers offline, the Quintessons land on Cybertron. As the Quintessons enjoy how great it is to be home, Spike grabs Rodimus' weapon and destroys the lever. Reactivating, an incredibly angry Galvatron begins chasing the Quintessons who manage to escape. Galvatron then prepares to fight Rodimus, but Blitzwing pulls his weapon on Galvatron, telling him that this has to end. Galvatron banishes Blitzwing from the Decepticons and orders the Decepticons to retreat. Rodimus Prime notes that the battle is over for now, but the Autobot leader also notes that the Transformers may well have met their greatest enemies. Our universe will never be the same again. We Transformers have looked into the face of our creators and seen the face of an enemy. And that wraps up the five-part episode, Five Faces of Darkness. So were you guys, were you set, like, I... I, I know maybe you, you probably watched a lot of this in bulk, and Mike's described how he views it as the, you know, the, the conclusion to a trilogy almost. Like, did, does this, for either of you guys, like, did this live up to your expectations? Like, like, what do you think of the way this all sort of played out and finally sort of ended and resolved? I think as a standalone, I mean, kind of looking at the, the five-parter in a vacuum, I, I think it was a... a decent conclusion i guess um you know it kind of lays the table for the rest of season three that there's always going to be this ambiguous third party in the quintessons uh playing both sides you know we see that a lot of times it's kind of confusing after this that they they team up with the decepticons and like dude galvatron what the fuck <laughs> you? 
after they already screwed you over once, why would you team up with them again and again and again? One of the, the most egregious is probably is uh, they uh, send him to the, the core of Cybertron that time and let the uh, uh, the dweller in the depths uh, lose that uh, big energy vampire thing. Yeah. He's kind yeah. of an idiot for falling for that. I think that was a Paul Dini written episode, but that was not yeah, really my yeah, favorite yeah. as a kid. But, uh, I mean, Galvatron doesn't really learn anything from this, obviously, but he is mentally imbalanced. So, um, But, yeah, no, it was a, a nice end, I guess. Uh, I was always just kind of weirded out by the Blitzwing's just turn and just kind of his standing throughout the, the whole five-parter, kind of, as I said. But, um, you know, as one of the few uh, holdover characters from the, the pre-movies days, it was kind of sad to see him go, even if I hadn't seen him a, a whole lot in the season two episodes. But, yeah, no, it was a satisfied conclusion. I always just jumped right to the next episode <laughs> after this, though, and there's more, you know, Autobots, Decepticons, and Quintessons uh, shenanigans in the middle there. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I like this conclusion. I mean, I think as a kid, I was, like, looking forward to Triptychon and Metroplex, like, fighting. And, mm. like, that seemed to be, like, you know, the main action piece of the episode. And, I mean, rewatching it, I mean, it's an ACOM episode, uh, again, obviously, as we've said. So, I mean, it's not like the fight is, like, super awesome or anything. But, like, I mean, it's it's still, you know, I think there's still a sense of scale to it. I was always blown away by... uh Triptychon's uh, arc through the air <laughs> yeah I know that's a He's very defying like upturn all of a sudden uh-huh, like, yeah. like, what it's, it's kind of like when Lou Ferrigno threw that giant empty bear suit into the river you know it kind of <laughs> gets thrown kind of yeah. funny wise it caught, so, it caught a wind current like yeah. on, the, on its way to the river yeah whoop whoop I, I think like uh, I was trying to figure out how to discuss this without sounding like, you know, stupid. Cause I, I realize, I realize like there have been characters that have been part of different factions before this episode. Like, like I get that like Skyfire started out as a Decepticon, you know, and then, you know, the majority of time we knew him as a character, he, he was an Autobot. Then there's this sort of flashback about how he was friends with Starscream and all that kind of stuff. So it's like technically he started as a Decepticon scientist that switched sides and became, you know, an Autobot or whatever. But to me, like, that was kind of like in a flashback. And I, I almost feel like this is the first time where I kind of, it registered with me. Like, like, cause you know, Rodimus is basically like, Hey, can I convince you to like switch sides? And I almost kind of was like, they can do that. Like that's a, you know, I, I, I think that kind of, that shattered my worldview just a little bit where I was like, wait a minute. Like they, like he's, he's off, like he's offering this guy who tried to like shoot and kill him and transformers the movie. Like, membership in the autobots and i just I, I i it was one of those moments where i had where that i mean i don't know that they necessarily thought of all that when when that interaction took place but like it did register with me like being kind of like this concept that i don't think i ever thought was a possibility before but i don't i don't know if, if that's just me like if i'm just putting too much weight on on this particular series of episodes like wh- what do you guys think of like that notion of of switching sides so, like did that ever occur to you earlier in the franchise or maybe depending on how you you came to this in you know accordance with other transformers fiction like did that come up earlier in your fandom than this or not 
Yeah, no, the only thing I can think of was the, like, you know, the, the Jetfire instance. Uh, obviously, Beast Wars had the, the Dinobot thing. Uh, right, right. But, yeah, no, I guess I, I don't know. I just kind of, I felt like, uh, even as far back as I can remember, that Blitzwing's whole arc through all five of these episodes was kind of out of, out of nowhere and kind of not real consistent with what we've seen before. Um, but, yeah, I guess I didn't even think about it in the context of the come on down, Otto Brat from mm, the movie. Yeah, yeah. And there he is again with him face to face. Yeah. Now, now he's like, he's like, I, and it's interesting his reaction to that too. Cause he says, he says, I could never, but you know, I, he, but he essentially, he's like, I, I respect you. Like you have my respect, but I could never be an Autobot, you know? And it's like, that's the, 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 the interest. I mean, he doesn't say that, but he, that I, to me, that's what I think the, he 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 stops mid sentence. You know, I could never dot dot dot. But to me, I think the answer is the finish to the sentence is I could never be an Autobot. I could never switch sides. Like, but that that that's I don't know. It's just to me. It's, I mean, it's, I guess we we have seen a few instances uh, in season two where Autobots and Decepticons have kind of teamed up temporarily. Uh, yeah, the truce yeah. to solve something. Was it uh, right after uh, the? the doom three-parter dealing with the aftermarket of that or after wow aftermarket i'm in work mode here uh <laughs> fallout uh, of that uh, megatron and uh um, optimus prime, prime team up yeah. to launch that uh, explosive uh device out of dr archibald's lab that just happens to hit starstream in flight on his way back from uh, cybertron uh, and then uh later in season three i think there's a few times uh where uh, cyclonus and Either Ultra Magnus Ultra or Magnus. Rodimus kind of bury the the hatchet a little bit there's, to accomplish a, a goal. There's that weird uh, twisted team up between uh, Starscream and uh, Mister Paranoid. Uh, Red Alert. Like there's there's that. That's that's kind of like the the wacky wackiest rival fusion <laughs> I can think of that took place in the in the cartoons. But yeah, that, there's there's a lot of stuff like that where they they make temporary alliances. But yeah, I think I think it sort of blew my mind that that. Rodimus was offering him like a permanent position, you know, like like it wasn't just like they were going to do this as a one-time thing. Like he, he, based on the strength of them, you know, doing this together, he it, to me it seemed like rather genuine too, like that. And 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 I I almost kind of wonder. I mean, I wonder if that subtly is another reason why I always come to Rodimus's defense as far back as you know when I when we all first got on the the bot talk message boards, like that was me. I was always the guy, like, kind of, you know, basically going, hey, shut the fuck up, Rodimus is cool. You know, like, and, and I, I wonder if subconsciously that's, like, another reason for me to to like the character, you know, because there's somebody making this this uh, almost, you know, uh, what's what's the right word to use, a, a unconditional olive branch. You know what I mean? Like, it, uh, it's just, like, something like that kind of blew my mind you know it's like you know that it's like okay like no no questions like you you did me a solid like we'll we'll, we'll try and see if this can work and of course it, i guess what's kind of cool about it is i mean even though you you, you say it kind of comes out of the blue and i i don't disagree with you like like I, I don't know that blitzwing was ever shown to necessarily be honorable before this but but at least within the confines of this five-parter it's almost like they play them up as kind of a a wharf type character and it's like you know and, and it's almost him acknowledging like no i don't i don't think i can hang with you guys like like this this one time i'm glad we all didn't 
you know, become carbon freeze quintesson bait or whatever, but but I, I don't think I could do this on the regular, you know, like and I, I think that's uh I don't know. I, I to me it's like that, that those are the kind of dimensionalities in a character that I appreciated from season three that I don't think you necessarily got from some of the earlier seasons where characters were a little more you know, it, it was a cartoon for kids, so they were a little more one note, I think. And I, I feel like a lot of the characters in this had a lot more dimensionality in season three. Agreed. They had they had to give them more dimensionality to be able to sell a weaker toy line. I think I, I think this this did a good job of selling me toys though, because you talk about Metroplex and Trypticon being the highlight. I mean, for shit sure, this sold this sold the Metroplex. Like that that's you know absolutely <laughs> true. I was going to say, like, no, who I feel like it didn't sell is the Predacons. Like, then mm. the, the wiki kind of snarks about it, how it, they're, they're all bark and no bite. And they are kind of lamos, like, in this, I feel like, in this episode. And, like, I I did, like, it's amazing that Predaking is as popular as he is from, like, this debut. Just because, like I, like, I never thought they were cool up until I read, like, Marvel number 25, mm, basically, mm. which I think I read after I saw this, so. I, I think that came out, like, right around the, I, I want to say either right around the same time or at least pretty close because... I, I remember the, you know, the stupid fucking floppy disk shit came out to tie into the movie so they would, like, Prime would be dead in the comic continuity and in the movie, right? Like, I don't know why they had needed to have that corporate synergy because I'm like, the movie takes place in 2005, but apparently that was, that was what was determined, right? So they, they, they killed off Optimus Prime in issue 24, and then 25 was the way to sort of kill off megatron basically but like that's i from what i can recall even though i didn't look up the exact dates i think i would have read this 25 either before or or right around the same time this came out so yeah marvel like 25 was one of the issues i think i missed like initially and i didn't get until a back issue like later so i do believe this is the first time i ever saw the predacons so like I was like, who are these guys? And like they don't they don't even explain where they come from. Like yeah. basically, it's like the Quintessons just kind of beam them down, and then you know like they 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 we like they can't like you know and we we joke how Wheelie is secretly a badass and all, but they can't even like beat like Blur Wheelie and Marissa Fairborn, and then like you know Skylinks like takes uh, takes them all out, and then like they finally merge into Predaking and. I don't know what they were going for. Like, I think they were trying to show Predaking being fast, but like they 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 made it look like he was moving in slow motion, which is like they, counterintuitive, kind of. But they they did the uh, super action moment uh, thing that all the uh, Japanese Transformer cartoons do. That yeah, I guess so. Yeah, trick just drove me nuts. Anytime there's supposed to be something important happening in uh, Headmasters or uh, uh, what's the middle chapter. Um, Master Force. Master Force. They go to that slow, choppy, kind of slow motion animation. Yeah, like I like I don't know what they were going for, but it certainly didn't look impressive. So, I I always liked the the rivalry of uh, the the Predacons versus uh, Skylinks. Kind of see that come to a head again in yeah. the uh, Chaos episode. And there's a, a cool kind of fight scene too, where uh, the Autobots land on that uh, Chaos planet and. Uh, 
they get ambushed uh, by the Predacons, kind of yeah, stalking see, them, and like Grimlock like, grabs uh, Steeljaw by the mane and throws him into some quicksand and stuff like that. And that's a pretty cool scene. I guess based off of earlier this episode, uh, or earlier in the, this five-parter, when uh, Triptychon, uh, or not, tri- sorry, it's late, Minasaur uh, cuts down uh, Devastator, that kind of crowned him as the uh, head uh, Decepticon combiner in my eyes because the uh, Star Screams Brigade one, Trypticon, or God, I keep saying Trypticon, Minasaur also uh, knocks out uh, Bruticus. It's kind of a, a sucker punch, but at that point he's beat the other two uh, Decepticon combiner teams. So I kind of put Minasaur as kind of the, the cream of the crop of the Decepticon combiner teams. Our absent fan hole Brian would love to hear you say that. He loves Menasaur. But, but uh, like I, I was just gonna say that um I think like I, I did like like as far as being sold toys, like I, I did like the new mini bots, like their little like yeah. fight against Trypticon, like and no, it's also like significant. Like Trypticon destroys the Ark and like Teletran one, like in this episode, but like yeah. the the that was never called the arc in the cartoon. So like, it, it's just like, like, I don't think I got the significance of it when it happened, when I first saw it happen, like, where it's like, Oh, he's just destroying like Autobot headquarters on earth. Like whatever. Like I don't like, I think I had only seen that in like more than meets the eye at that point. So I'd like, I didn't know, like there had been like, you know, 50 something episodes where they were operating out of there. So like, you know, losing Teletran one and losing the arc itself wasn't like a huge deal to me, but like, you know, you, you would think that that would be like, you know, it should be a huge deal, I guess. I, I, sometimes I wonder about those things because I, I was thinking about this, you know, before we started recording where, you know, sometimes they would have these moments in the comics too, where I don't think I would comprehend what I was seeing because of, kind of what I was saying before that because the characters are robotic and thus in a lot of cases I would see say like Braun get shot by Megatron's fusion cannon in the standard episodes and he'd get right back up and keep trucking whereas you see him get shot in the movie and he dies from the shot right so like there was that weird discrepancy to me where sometimes it it, again you know it's like it's pretty established like Trypticon, you know, basically, you know, humps the fucking Mount St. Hillary and, 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 you know, blows up, you know, you know, the, the, the arc and all this other stuff. Right. Like I, I get what you're saying, but I think at the time, like, even when I saw it, I was like, I, I think there was still that little voice in the back of my head. That's like, ah, that's fine. They'll, they'll rebuild it. It'll be fine. You know, like, like, I don't, I don't know that I took it all as seriously as maybe I should have or, or that that certain things had to be spelled out to me like like one thing i could think of in particular is like i think you know like transformers 19 where like omega supreme basically like kills like half the decepticons like i don't i don't know that that registered to me as deaths at the time i thought it was just oh he's he's kicking the shit out of them yes but until i saw like like i i forget what issue it is where there was like the the morgues with all the goddamn names on the labels then i was like oh wait he he killed them like you know like like i don't i i think until like it was until somebody like you know it's kind of like the thing of you know the joker quote-unquote dies in all these episodes or or issues where he fights batman but and it's like show me the body jim 
show me the body. You know, it's like it's like that's how I always felt about it. And I felt like even though I saw, you know, the quote unquote Joker in in Teletran one, you know, fall to his death. Like, I don't think I ever saw the body. So I didn't I didn't really it didn't sink in until I saw there was a Teletran two. You know, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, I mean, there's just kind of a brief moment. You get Bumblebee's uh, little line there that, oh, no, there goes Teletrain 1. I remember I had to, um, I don't think I got who a lot of those, like, new minibots were until, like, the Transformers Universe profile books. Like, I got my hands on those because, like, they weren't, they weren't like really anywhere else basically like aside from like outback at the beginning of like five faces of darkness and then like i was like who is this like the the blue truck like like pipes and you know swerve and uh i mean who else shows up tailgate i think and like i, I don't think hubcap shows up but no like okay. yeah, some of those guys i was like who are those guys like i don't and like you know they weren't in they weren't in the comics either at least not the US ones so like there was no way for me to identify them until like i you know got the universe profile books and i was like oh yeah okay that's swerve and that's uh tailgate and i i yeah, feel like especially it was... in an episode with all the uh, coloring errors by atom and stuff yeah <laughs> when they had such similar yeah. you know, character models to to it's gears like... and wind charger that it's just uh oh they're just miscolored I think it was strategic to have them in that sequence because really the the mini bots were the toys that worked the best with Metroplex's city mode. You know, you could fit Bumblebee yeah. in Metroplex's little, you know, chest piece and then the ramps and, and, and the little crevices or, you know, I mean, other than like, say, like, you know, you're supposed to put like blades from, you know, the, the protective bots on the helipad. But I mean, outside of that, helipad i mean you could easily put say cosmos on that helipad too i mean it's a landing pad right so there there are other mini bots that flew that you could use in that context but i i almost feel like that sequence too gave like little derek you know that that was that was some early team building disease where i was like oh cool like I, i i i feel like i went out and got you know swerve and tailgate and pipes and those guys because not only were they a good price point but you know that, that it was something that you could realistically assemble. You know, a team that you could potentially, you know, assemble. Whereas I, I felt like you were always lucky. I don't know. To me, I felt like I was lucky if I got you know the you know a one Dinobot or two Dinobots, much less all five Dinobots. You know, or, or the same thing with you know the the Predacons. I had like one or two, but not all five. But but it seemed like you you might be able to get all these mini bots to, to, you know, you know, stroll around your Metroplex or something like that. So I, I do kind of, uh, you know, I, and then again, like, that's one of those things where it's like, I'm trying to stay away from that rabbit hole, but it was like, Oh, okay, well I need, I need some kind of third party masterpiece Springer. And then I'm like, okay, then I'm done with getting transformers. But then there's that weird part of me. That's like, boy, I sure like them bad cube pipes and outback and tailgate <laughs> and, and swerve. And, you know, and then I can get, you know, Warpath and, and, and uh, Powerglide and, and Beachcomber and have the little, you know, team of guys that was on Earth during during the Metroplex Trypticon fight, you know, so there's there's that uh, there's that notion too. Yeah, and 
the the G1 characters have really been getting a, a nice, uh, obviously with the, the masterpiece and the, the third party getting a nice treatment. But the, the latest Siege line, uh, some so a lot of uh, very strong G1 homages in, in that. Uh, really looking forward to yeah. that Springer. It's coming out of that. I have not bought any of the other uh, Siege figures. I've bought a couple of the, I guess the MicroMaster Patrols for my son, but definitely going to dip in and grab that Springer. Yeah, he's he's a uh, pretty pretty dead on. I mean, aside well, Siege seems to insist on putting like battle damage yeah. all over their toys, but it, like he otherwise he looks pretty dead on to his like you know cartoon animation model. See for for the Springer, they should have skipped on the battle damage and just made him explode like a crash dummy for the garbage sky. <laughs> <laughs> it's like disassemble Springer and then put him back again, and he'll insult you like. Did it, did it ever bother you guys that there was, like, one switch that, like, froze all Transformers everywhere? <laughs> that was kind of a... I mean, like, now that I'm older, I can say, well, that's kind of contrived, but... Right, I think right, when right. I When I was a kid, I, I was kind of like, well, I guess so. Like, if, you know, I, I, like, I, I don't know. I probably didn't question it when I was a kid. I mean, I did like how the, the setup was, was pretty well realized, where, you know, the Quintessence feared humanity and and spikes the one who proves their undoing essentially like i thought that was you know <laughs> they should have they should have been like we must flee the human has threatened to turn us into bluey juice <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know and, and, and it seems like that's a theme they keep coming back to because you know by the time they get to rebirth it's like spikes kind of the one who, who saves everybody in that too you know yeah, we'll say I, I always enjoyed how they did Spike. That's, uh, you know, crumpy old man territory now, but I, I feel like they've really struggled to ever capture that human element in Transformers correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. Since uh, the G1 cartoon, that Spike yeah. was always handled well. He wasn't near as whiny or annoying, and it wasn't a, a story about a group of kids that happened to have Transformers in it. Or, or like even I, I might even point to you know I mean there there are things I like about the IDW comics but I think Spike in those is definitely not one of them. Yeah. Unlikable action hero Spike. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Now at a moment in this episode that always makes me laugh, and I don't know if it was like intentional by the animators or not, but when. Skylynx flings the transformation cog and Trypticon like goes to grab for it and it's like over Trypticon's head so like he just kind of comes into frame and falls back out of it like I'm like damn that was a like you know that was a freaking three pointer like Skylynx from downtown Skylynx has been you know working out that's what I I wondered how much that uh, transformation cog uh, weighs because when they're on the IO you know, Wheelie loses it, and then he finds it by tripping over it, and it doesn't move, but it trips Wheelie. So you think, like, oh, there's going to be quite a bit of mass to that thing, and then, yeah, they're they're flinging it, like, hundreds of feet in the air. Yeah, and, you know, the scale isn't exactly accurate. Like, it, it, it scales to whatever character is holding it, basically, at the moment. I always thought that was weird about Metroplex and Trypticon's eyes when the ghost to Starscream and all them guys are going around stealing eyes for Unicron, and I'm kind of like, are, are, are their eyes really the same size as Unicron's eyes? I'm kind of sad, like, you know, well, I mean, obviously we know it was, like, you know, intentionally, like, curtailed, but the Blitzwing arc ends here, 
Yeah, and even yeah. even though Galvatron like kind of exiles him from the Decepticons, he is, he does show up with the Decepticons in group scenes from this point on. So, I guess because they they couldn't waste that model, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, otherwise, like I, I, yeah, I love this five-parter. Like I said, this this was basically since it was all in one shot on the VHS, like it was a uh, a sequel to Transformers the movie for me. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like I, I, I rented it a million times. Like I, I didn't even I rewatched the first episode like this week, and I didn't watch any of the others because I know this like so well and like by almost by heart and so i like i i didn't even write any notes like i was like you know like once we read the summaries i'll I'll remember everything in the episode so like you know i love this this is maybe my favorite multi-parter in the original cartoon i i did like as a whole and it's you know i just have infinite nostalgia for it and i'm you know i'm really glad like we talked about it yeah yeah i am too i mean i I think I think if I had to compare it to any other multi-parter that brings me an equivalent amount of joy, it might it might be the ultimate doom, you know, like just because of all the the humor and stuff in that. I mean, I think I, I think too, like th- that's something about these characters that I I don't know that is always um, carried over from interpretation to interpretation, but this this kind of sardonic sarcastic type of tone that all the characters have whether it's you know springer or cup or or rodimus or whoever you know or or in the ultimate doom you know guys like brawn you know like i mean there's that kind of stuff that i just that's one of those traits that makes me adore the characters and they talk about you know i don't know i always hear all these ridiculous things it's like why they have to have 50 million humans and army men in these movies and all this other stuff but i was like well yeah spike was fine in the cartoon but you know the, the reason why i like these guys is because they they made me laugh like i i felt like i could relate to them and identify to them and i didn't care that i wasn't a goddamn robot you know like i i loved these guys and 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 i think like i said everything i learned about you know, being smug without pissing people off, you know, comes from Rodimus, you know, so it's like, there, there's those things where it's like, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I dig, you know, I always dig rewatching this. I, I, I don't get sick of it. Like I, I love season three to death. I love outer space. I love transformers. I love transformers in space, you know, like it, it's like to me, everything, everything lines up in, in these, these episodes and this season in general and and again and then i'm, I'm kind of super happy because you know this is the first time we've gotten to talk to you know kyle about this you know sort of in person or you know uh you know over over the air you know about transformers even though i know me and him have have const- constantly messaged one another about you know various things like this so i'm i'm, I'm super pleased about that too well, thank you. Yeah, it was a blast coming on. Yeah, this is definitely, I think, my favorite uh, multi-parter, the Transformers. Uh, I think my my favorite, all-time favorite standalone episode is SOS Dinobots. Um, second, third runner-ups to that would be uh, Web World and Forever is a Long Time Coming. And then uh, this is my, my favorite multi-parter. Um, but yeah, like I said, especially uh, episode four with kind of the, the Matrix journey. 
that paired with forever a long time coming is really what sparked my interest and love of kind of the, the transformer mythos and kind of the legacy and all their history um, and yeah this is a a great follow-up to the movie or a great standalone thing too that that brings you up to speed and introduces a lot of character arcs and everything that explored out past season three i think that's why season three is so great is you see it in this this five-parter is just the the attention to detail and all the character building that goes into this cast of characters on this long journey and that's a blast uh, following in space alternate settings alternate worlds it definitely takes on more of a sci-fi feel and it's it's really enjoyable and yeah I, I echo your sentiments on the, you know, I I didn't need an entry point character to the series. I didn't need a human to identify as robots that turn into cool shit out in space doing cool things. That's that's all you need to know. Um, kind of drives me crazy with uh, the newer series where they have to put in kids. And, you know, when kids come around at Halloween and want candy, none of them's dressed as Spike Whitwicky. They're, they're dressed as Bumblebee <laughs> and Optimus Prime, right? So I yeah. think they're identifying with uh, Transformer robot characters just fine. <laughs> how, how will you identify or, or connect with the robots if one isn't peeing on you? <laughs> uh, all all yeah. excellent, good questions. If why what like if if Shia LaBeouf on crack isn't in every single scene, like how will we connect to these characters? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Do you ever uh, see that uh, robot chicken uh, short of uh, Optimus Prime with the prostate cancer, where he's having to pee in mid-battle? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then he transforms into a coffin <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Hi, I'm Optimus Prime. What you've just seen was a dramatization of what you, your friends, and your family go through if you don't get regular prostate exams. Now, we Transformers don't have organic internal organs and can't get cancer, but you do. And you can. So get your ass ticked out before it's too late, turkeys! Well, alright. Well, I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. Uh, before we all sign off and everything, um, Kyle, is there anywhere you'd like to direct our listeners if they want to listen to like previous? I, I know you said it's been a while since you updated, but do you want to direct anybody anywhere on the interwebs for for past content they could listen to? Because of course, if you've never listened to it before, it's it's new to you. So yeah, well, I I let that feed expire, so all those episodes are dead. I actually had someone uh, message okay. me out of the blue on a Twitter the other day, like, uh, "Hey, I was going back through Secret Origins and." You know, Ryan Daly's awesome podcast. I think I was on six or seven episodes of that. And I want to listen to your solo shows. Where are those at? All the links are dead. Like, yeah, they've been dead a while. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, actually, probably uh, past episodes of the Fire and Water podcast. I've guessed on there quite a bit, especially Ryan Daly's shows. Um, and I don't know, maybe by the end of the year, I'll uh, have something back up and going. I, I've had the itch, I guess, uh, to kind of get back into it. And, things my personal life have settled down a little bit so i might have a, a little bit more time to occasionally get an episode out and have 150 some back episodes that i can always put back up so i don't know stay yeah. tuned you yeah. can follow me on twitter i have multiple twitter accounts not near as many as rob kelly but uh, <laughs> uh there's uh kd likes comics that's kind of the the main one i use otherwise i do have uh a Transformers-related one that, if I'm in a Transformers mood, I, I post on there quite a bit. Uh, 
I think uh, that Twitter handle is Decons Retreat, you know, short for Decepticons Retreat. So, well, yeah, uh, th- thank you, thank you, Kyle. Like, like usually, I feel like usually when we have a special guest on to talk about Transformers, they're not like as informed as like the the rest of us are. But you are, you are clearly, you know your stuff. So, like, it was well, a pleasure. You. I appreciate it. Yes, no, I. Transformers is really my, my initial gateway into comics and then what got me back into comics uh, in the, the early 2000s. So, you know, I inherited all those comics from my uncle. And, I mean, there was a lot of other awesome stuff in there, too, like uh, Salvage Humans, uh, Hulk run, uh, John Burns, Fantastic Four run, a uh, bunch of DC who's who. Uh, so that really kind of got me hooked. But really the, the big long runs they had were uh, the, the Transformers and uh, G.I. Joe comics uh so i read those and then you know comic shops just disappeared in my area then when diamond bought everything so it wasn't until i really got a driver's license around the time i was uh, <laughs> well, right before i got my driver's license and a comic shop came to my town what that, yeah. that was short-lived um but that was right when dreamway was launching so I started picking up all those titles and then that got me into checking out marvel and dc as uh, crisis and civil war rolled on and no looking back since then but uh so yeah, cool. it's uh, always fun to revisit Transformers. Uh, those with Transformers, along with uh, Ninja Turtles, are definitely my my favorite kind of geek love uh, thing that I had as What's, a kid. That 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 like like strikes a chord with me because like once the I got my license, yeah, like exactly because like once I got my my license, like I went through that period where. I was like, oh man, now I can like drive over the entire state and like find every single comic book store and like buy up all their back <laughs> issues and stuff. And I'd be like, you know, like, grubbing through the long boxes, like I will buy all your Transformers back issues, your Transformers and Thunderbolts back issues. Yes. Yeah, no, the to get my license was at a, a good time too, because really that is, you know, Armada came on the air. Um, which just not talk about that cartoon, but uh, you know, there's some, the, the toys had more of a, a kind of a G1 feel, right. Kind of a back to the brickier feel as opposed to kind of the spindly, uh, you know, ball joint thing that all the you know, uh, beast wars toys were. Um, so you had a lot of G1 homages kind of, and then the feel of the toys, but you know, you had the, the Titan reprints of all the UK stuff. That's the first time I could get my hands on that. And, then alternators came out and had the G1 reissues and stuff. And so that was a good time to have a license because all that stuff was like 40 miles away from my house. So uh-huh. make a trip down, hit up some comic shops and go to Toys R Us and search for reissues. And it was a good time to be a, a Transformers fan, especially one with a, a driver's license. <laughs> no, it, no, it's 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 funny because like I, I went to Walmart earlier this week and, uh, you know, they have those reissues of the mini bots like at Walmart, yeah. like on the shelf. So it's like, you know, sometimes you're just in the store and like I, I saw like a the reissue of Swerve just hanging on the shelf. And like I was kind of like, man, what a time we live in. Like if you told me like like 20 years ago, like I could go into a store and buy like an original like Swerve like off the shelf, like I would have been like, you're on drugs. Like, that's crazy. Like, why would that happen? Like, but. Now it's, uh, you know, you got to take a step back and appreciate, so, like, stuff like that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. No, not, I've been glad they've been doing that. I've been picking up all the, the mini bots for my, my son. He just turned five, and he loves those, and those are kind of the perfect uh, complexity for him, too. So I, I'm hoping that, I don't know, I've been following that. I assume uh, during uh, SDCC, they get some uh, 
announcements about the, the, the next wave of G1 reissues. Hopefully there's yeah, uh, more like mini this come Next week, yeah, hopefully they'll have a lot of good stuff like to be revealed. Like the, the story, the like in a similar vein, like I always like if if I could go back in time and tell like 20 years ago and tell my, you know, like 15 year old self that this would happen. Like I, I, I work in a supermarket and like they have like some of those like Titans return headmasters like at my supermarket. So like if, if I went back in time and told my like, you know, 15 year old self, dude, you're going to work in a place where you can buy a new night beat toy like in, in like, you know, 20, 15, 20 years. I would have been again, I would have been like, you're on drugs like older me. Like that's impossible. <laughs> Like why? Why would that happen? There's no reason. Like no one knows who Nightbeat is. Like you know why would they make a new toy of him? Like, but yeah, like I I, I love stuff like that. Cool. All right. Well, I think then we will we will transform and roll on out of here. Um, if you have any other comments, questions, and or concerns, you can email us at fanholspodcast@gmail.com. If you'd like to listen to the backlog of episodes of Transformers Tuesdays, you can head over to fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. In addition to Transformers Tuesdays, we've got all kinds of other shows. Check those out. We're on Apple Podcasts. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. And we, let's see, what else? I don't know. Anyway, we're, we're on all that kind Places. of stuff. We're, we're on social medias. We're on, like, Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram and all that good stuff. We appreciate all the likes, shares, hearts, retweets, and feedback we get. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, you bunch of posologies. Sign it off. Hey, it's Mike. And uh, who's going to sign off? Everyone! <laughs> I don't have anything. Sometimes it's better to be known for one time. having me on guys yeah yeah this was awesome it's a good hefty episode yeah you could release it in five parts if you wanted to (laughs) yeah yeah. we'll drive justin crazy and like over the course of the next month we're doing another all transformers month yeah okay so i I started that yeah and I, i will avoid legal snags by telling mr benning that he's being recorded like, like we weren't already being listened to because that's how they decide their Marvel Legends series by listening to us. Talk <laughs> that's right. Weekends, you know? I'm like, come on. Undoubtedly. I said Citizen V like enough times that it just, you know, they're like, oh, the a- algorithms picked up Citizen V coming like 500 million times from this one podcast, man. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, I was super disappointed that like nobody cheered when they revealed him at uh, San Diego. I was like, you Philistines, don't you know who this is? Just waiting for that Baron. Uh, is that what they called him? Is that oh. what they called him in the, the Star Trek? Right, right. Thing? Yeah, it was like what yeah. the synopsis. It was like it was like Baron Baron V or something. Baron like V. Yeah, yeah, that was, was like, it. What? Yeah, I'm like, way to way to reveal your hand. Way to be Kim Kardashian with your mirrored glasses playing poker. Um, synopsis. Yeah.
Derek, like now I'm thinking of that story you tell about when you went to see what was it like Empire Strikes Back and they oh, had like, yeah, the yeah. guy dressed as Han Solo. Oh, like, that was around that, the lobby. that was yeah, that was uh, Return of the Jedi. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Cause so now I'm thinking like Transformers the movie. They had a guy dressed, <laughs> dressed as like as cop, a or, cop. Yeah, walking around like yeah, Turbo Revan Young Punk. Like hey, like, lad. Everybody <laughs> thinks they're fucking hot rod and shit. How you doing, lad? Every kid is lad. Every in, kid is in the lad. line. Yeah. 